0: This episode is brought to you by AudioQuest, makers of the mythical series Analog Interconnects. Click the link in the show notes for more information.
1: Welcome back everybody to the beginning of winter here in Berlin. So yeah, another episode of the Darker Audio podcast. Joining me this time, Michael Lavonia from The Barn. Welcome, Michael. Good to be here. Again. (laughs) Again. Yeah. Um, Today, we're going to go straight into it. I think we're a little bit more organized than we were last time, even though I thought last episode that we did was going to end up being quite shambolic, but it came together okay in the end. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, so we we have a, a rough plan for today, but um, it could be equally shambolic. I don't know, but I thought we'd um, I thought we'd start with a few, well, a few bits and pieces, and they're all centered around streaming. Um, do you know what the Wim Mini is, Michael? Well,
2: <clears throat> well, John, from your coverage, <laughs> oh God, oh God. <laughs> well, I do, <laughs> right? Okay. As a matter of fact, yeah. Okay.
1: Well, because not everybody does. And when I've mentioned it, some people, they give me this blank stare. Mm. But the Wim Mini is like a $100 little sort of hockey puck sized network streamer. And i got to say, I think it's analog output. It doesn't sound great at all, but it does have a Toslink output. And I think mm. when I first looked at it, it wasn't a bit perfect, but now it is. Because Wim, God bless them, the last year since they introduced the the mini at the start of the year, they've been rolling out update after update, firmware updates, that is, really improving and adding functionality to the win Mini. So they've got uh, Spotify Connect, Tidal Connect, I think Apple AirPlay two. I'm doing this from memory. Um, mm. but enough to get you up and running with you know with your own apps. You know, like when I say your own apps, I mean with the Spotify app, with the Tidal app. And obviously with AirPlay, you can stream Rune to it, and it's a hundred bucks. So it's a, I think it's a killer way to get into, I guess the ground floor of, I don't want to call it high end streaming. I was out with a couple of audio Mm. mates last night and we were talking about how nebulous and somewhat distracting or confusing the term high end is because like, what is it? There's no clear definition. And if you, Mm. if you don't specify audio, like then what is it? You know what I mean? So yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yes, I do know. Yeah. I, I I don't think, I don't think I ever use
1: that term. Yeah, I do. I do. I actually, I do quite a lot. I'm guilty of that. And I need to find a better term, but it's just, I guess with the high end show in Munich, it, it kind of yeah, sticks yeah. with me a little bit, but it, there has to be a better word. I just think maybe AV or hi-fi enthusiasm. Anyway, whatever. Like, it doesn't mm. matter that much. I mean, I, I guess what I wanted to talk about related to the Wim Mini is there, they are just about to introduce the Wim Mini Pro and i have one in my hands right now and it arrived mm. yesterday via fedex and i haven't even plugged it in yet i've only had time to unbox it and it's no longer a hockey uh, a hockey you'll oh, say hockey puck a hockey puck <laughs> sized device it's actually roughly the size of an Aurelic Aries mini or ah. a bit like an oversized apple tv mm. but a bit a bit lighter i think there's only one board inside here i could be wrong but I do know that it does, I've got to get this right again, it does Apple AirPlay 2, Tidal Connect, Spotify Connect, but it also mm-hmm. does Chromecast, which I think is a neat addition for many people, mm-hmm. especially those people who use Cobas but don't want to run Cobas through Wim's own app, You know, because like, mm-hmm. you know manufacturers supply their own app. And Wim's own app, actually, even though this is only a $100 product, their app is... Certainly on par with many other here's a uh, here's that term again, high-end audio hardware companies own streaming apps that you know, and I'm talking about high-end audio companies that make multi-thousand dollar streamers, you know, and they yeah. have an app with it. So yeah. the app is it's great actually for the money. So that obviously works with the WIM Mini Pro. And I believe it's going to be rune ready certified eventually. It's not huh? yet, but it's on the roadmap. Well, on the back, we've obviously got a line out. So there's a DAC inside. I hope the DAC circuit is better than the the one inside the WIM Mini. I would never mm. use the the original Minis, but like I said, the Toslink output bit perfect. Great, right? So this one also has a Toslink output. It has a coaxial output as well. Mm. Um, it also has a Toslink input. So if you wanted to use this as just a DAC for something else, TV sorry, or yeah, you could run the TV through it, mm. but Interestingly, there is a, a line in. It's a double RCA line in. So I think what, what <laughs> we're trying to do here is a bit like with the Sonos stuff. You can mm. feed an analog source and then stream it to another WIM streamer somewhere else in the house. Mm. I think that's what they're doing with that. And there's a five volt USB-C power socket on it. Mm. Um, <clears throat> what I don't know, and I've just, I have Googled for it today. What I don't know is the pricing on this. I'm hoping it's going to be sort of 200 dollars maybe 250 so it comes in pretty close to the argon audio solo which is only available in europe and not even Mm. the uk because obviously argon don't see the uk as being part of europe anymore so (laughs) you can't blame them can you um (laughs) so this win mini pro i think it's going to be shipping soon i think it's going to be pretty popular I'm not going to get time to make a video review of it before the end of the year. I don't think, mm. but I just thought I would mention it on this podcast because it arrived yesterday. I don't know when I'm going to make a video. And as I'll talk about later, maybe if we get time, I'm I'm in the throes of sort of sorting out a, basically a, a couple of months away in the Mediterranean in, in January and February. So I've got to get everything done in the next four or five weeks, like in terms of video production and podcasts and, end of year lists and things like that, you know, because we're we're about to hit the sort of best of the year, aren't we? So Yes. uh, I think
2: (laughs) I've seen one already pop up somewhere. I've seen
1: one, yeah. I was thinking about putting one up actually maybe early next week, but Mm -hmm. I don't know yet um, whether I'm going to just wait and put them all into sort of one production or spread them out. I haven't really decided. Mm -hmm. Um, But on the theme of streamers, I also wanted to talk about the NVIDIA Shield pro or the nvidia shield tv pro because this is a a basically uh an android tv based streamer 200 bucks or 200 euros mm. and the great thing about this product is that every photo that i've ever seen of it every product photo every official photo makes it look like it's the size of i don't know um maybe the size of an ipad like a like a normal average size ipad obviously thicker but that's the general dimensions like or a book mm. right but when you unbox it, it's this tiny little thing. It's, it's, it's really probably, it's probably the size of a, a very large iPhone, like one of the wow. pro, okay. pro iPhones, right? It's tiny, but it does have obviously HDMI on the back. So you can connect it to your TV. And I think the reason these things are so popular because obviously they run things like Netflix and Disney plus and YouTube and all those kind of TV streaming apps, but they also have. Spotify Connect, sorry, not Spotify Connect. What am I talking about? Well, you could use it as a Spotify Connect, because effectively any Spotify install is really a connect um endpoint. But so there's a Spotify app, there's a Tidal app. Um mm-hmm. there's one more, Plex. Plex, I use that quite a mm-hmm. bit. But the reason I bought this thing was because I was gonna make a video about it. And and the reason is is, is that it has a USB. Uh, socket on the back that you can use as an audio output and for the first couple of years of this being on the market what the the software inside used to do was upsample everything to 192 and then spit it out of the USB socket at 192 hmm. so it wasn't bit perfect i think that's what it did but it, it you certainly didn't get a bit perfect option but i think a firmware update maybe a year ago changed that so now you have the option to upsample to 192 or you have the option to keep the the clock speed of that USB output in terms of sample rate at 44.1. So if you're playing a CD quality stream, it will mm. come out un basically by the Android TV operating system that it won't mm. it won't get um, resampled, upsampled. Down- well, if you send it at 48, it's going to be downsampled, 96 downsampled. But I think. If you operate on the assumption that most people are streaming CD quality, then it's going to come out of 44.1. And I connected an external DAC to this little topping D10s. Mm. And I just verified this, you know, like I put it into 192 mode. You have to reboot it to do that. And then Mm. all the audio comes out 192, then go to the settings, change it to 44.1 mode and everything comes out at 44.1. And I was about to make a video about this because I think using the TV as a source, for music streaming is very popular. And especially with this thing, because you're not relying on the TV's uh output. So you're not relying on an HDMI arc output to you know connect that to I don't know a streaming amplifier because maybe you don't have an HDMI ARC input on your amp or your DAC or whatever. So what you can do with this thing is you send the image over HDMI to your telly and then the audio you peel off via the USB socket into your hi-fi system, right? Because yeah. most hi-fi systems have a USB input. So I was going to make a, a video about this as a sort of follow-up to my video about how to connect your TV for streaming to your hi-fi system. Because it was the one thing I didn't feature. And I deliberately left it out thinking, I'm going to make a video about the NVIDIA Shield TV Pro. But then I found a deal breaker. Hmm. Now this surprised me because it it didn't used to be like this. So and I, I double-checked it. Oh, let me go back a little bit. So I did make a video about the Xiaomi Mi Box S, which is a $50 Android TV network streamer. I made this three or four years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's got a Toslink output and a USB output. And I think one it upsamples everything to 48 and the other 96. Mm-hmm. And it's fixed. You can't do anything about that. But the great thing about it is with a Google Chromecast input, you could stream Rune to it. And you could also stream... The, the Rune now playing screen to it. So you mm. on the TV, you get Rune, you know, what's playing on Rune, a big, big, big display of cover art and artist photos and things like that. But it seems that either, I don't know who's to blame for this. I don't know whether it's Rune have made some software changes or whether it's Google, mm. but when you stream Rune to the Nvidia Shield Pro and also the Xiaomi, cause I got it out of the cupboard to double check it, it's no longer gapless. It used to be gapless. It <laughs> used to be. <clears throat> I don't know why, but I I did uh, message Danny at Rune and ask him. And he's like, well, you know, we make changes to our software all the time, and it may have actually broken that functionality. But well, I don't want to throw Rune under the bus here with that because it could have been Chromecast. But Danny's like, I don't think he was aware of it. Hmm. But for me, it's uh, you know how I feel about gapless playback. I think everybody <laughs> in my audience is probably rolling their eyes like, harder than angela merkel right now just going oh like <laughs> john <his> gap as <laughs> playback again but it's so i this afternoon i you know i organized the amazon return and i box it up and it's, it's going back to the the uh, the uh, the courier pickup point when we've done this podcast i'm sending mm. it back because i can't live with a a, a gapped output which is a pity because I, yes i could still use it as a uh an endpoint for runes now playing screen and then send the audio somewhere else. Of course, you could still do that. Absolutely. But I was kind of excited to use it as an all in one, mm. right? So you could stream audio to it and the now playing screen, goes to your TV, and you don't need to have another rune endpoint somewhere else. So I'm a bit disappointed by that, uh, and not least because I, I kind of wasted a bit of time, <laughs> you know, investigating this to find yeah. that I can't really take it any further. I mean, that's just mm. the way it goes, really.
2: That's too bad. It's a nice-looking little space-age unit.
1: It is. It, it is nice. And the picture quality is, well, from what I can tell, is really good. I think it does a yeah. lot of 4K upsampling to various images. Although I'm not, I'm not a TV person or a home theater person, so I'm probably not the right person to really speak mm. about that kind of thing. I can talk to the audio portion of it. And it, I, I love the fact that you can do Tidal on it. Although the Tidal app, like many of Tidal's TV streamer, implementations it's very video based hmm. as in the homepage is all like yeah promotional videos or what do you call them i don't know what like mtv style videos like mu- music videos right <laughs> right <clears throat> my brain is short-circuiting because in australia those things like i think are called are they called video clips or something like something really strange um and that was a word i ne- could never get used to whereas in the uk they were just called music videos so yeah the title app is music videos based spotify is not plex i don't know whether plex is gapless actually on these android tv streamers or not i don't think it is but people can well actually they can't email me at the moment because i've taken the email box off my website for the time being until i'm until i'm rest and relax, rested and relaxed after my winter in the med but um yeah i'm sure somebody will find a way as people still do <laughs> i don't think people are getting the message that i for the time being, I don't want any emails that aren't really, really urgent until I've, mm. you know, taken some time out. Um, but the the third streaming thing that I want to talk about today, and this relates to a couple of videos I've made this week, is the the Logitech Squeezebox Touch because it's ten years ago that it was discontinued by Logitech, mm. and I know you had one for a while, well, or you, you still got one, don't you? I do. I actually have two for some reason. Hmm.
2: Yeah, I was looking through. We spoke about this some time ago, so I went and looked for it, and I
1: found two. Oh, wow. I mean, it's just an amazing device, considering all that it did back then and all it can do now. Mm -hmm. I can't think of another affordable network streamer that has a touchscreen. Can you think of one? I can't think of one.
2: No, I can't. Not off the top of my head, no.
1: Yeah. I mean, I did punch in the, the VU meters. And they do look super janky now. (laughs) They really do. Yeah, yeah, I think they were trying a bit too hard, but I went back to the VU meters because I've got a transporter as well, um, which I've had. I bought it like two years ago and it's just been sort of knocking about not doing very much. And I thought I'm going to make a video about the squeeze box eventually. So I'll put it in that. I (laughs) I didn't put it in the video really. Mm. Um, But the VU meters on the right hand side because it's got two screens, but they're more like, the squeeze box classic where it's just like a, um, I f- I forget the type of screen where it's just like one bright green, uh, is it like a dot matrix type display? It's yeah, built from dots and it's mm. yeah. anyway, whatever, whatever that type of display is, I can't think of the term for it right now. I couldn't think of it yesterday either. So my brain has got it's drawn a blank on that, but, um, yeah, the, the VU meters on the squeeze box classic and the transporter, I think move more elegantly. They look more convincing. So if you're really obsessed with VU music, I would <laughs> go and hunt a squeeze box classic and not the touch, mm. but the touch, you know, even the touch screen it's a, it's a little bit janky by modern standards, but it's not terrible, but that's, to me, that's not really the joy of the, of the, the device. I mean, it's the supporting software, the Logitech media center, which I think is so damn powerful with mm. just plugins for everything Yeah, it's, and it's free, free. I can't <laughs> give <a sense. clears throat> But I just wanted to mention it because I just think, well, as a, am going to repeat what I said in the video, which is really boring of me, isn't it? But basically, you know, we were speaking a few episodes back about how some members of my audience try and tell me that the streaming world is moving so quickly that it's hard mm-hmm. to keep up. And if you buy something today, it's going to be a paperweight tomorrow. Yes. Well, I think this really flatly disproves that mm. because it's it's still... I mean obviously it still functions it still does everything that it used to because it's been maintained by a software developer in the community a com- like an open source kind of thing yeah um and there have been different plugins added and things over the years and new skins been added which make the web interface look a lot better but the basics like the basics of let's say spotify connect and then tidal kobas you know they were introduced in what in 2013 or 14 on that device. So after it had been discontinued and it was still working, and still does to this day. And then you've got plugins for SoundCloud, Mixcloud, Deezer. All of these things would you know they're not new things to come to the SqueezeBox platform. They're just and there's a, there's an AirPlay plugin, and you can even use Logitech Media Center to stream to an Apple TV or the Nvidia Shield TV Pro, because it streams to Chromecast devices as well. So you don't actually have a, have to have a squeeze box to use Logitech Media Center. Sure, right, right. Right? So I know I, I featured that hardware, but I think it's great. But I did say you could put it on a Pi or, yeah, just any, any like the, the Xiaomi Mi Box S, you could mm. use that as an endpoint. I mean, I know people are very, or some people are very funny about operating systems on these devices resampling their audio Hmm. so if everything comes out of 4896 and i understand the sort of theoretical objection to that i mean we can't know if it really does anything or if it impacts the sound negatively because we can't turn it off right but but generally if you plug one of these things into a usb DAC, it's going to sound pretty damn good Hmm. so i think you know you could get a xiaomi mi box s for 50 bucks any USB dongle DAC, there's a whole bunch of them about. You can even connect a AudioQuest Dragonfly directly into the back, no dongle required, mm. and then get a three and a half mil to RCA cable and connect that into, you know, your amplifier. Yeah, you're golden. I mean, what is it? A hundred? The cheapest Dragonfly is a hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. The Xiaomi's are fifty bucks. So you've got a, you know, a Chromecast streamer with all the benefits of Logitech Media Center <laughs> and then some right. for hundred and fifty bucks. I think that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Super accessible. Yep. Uh, yeah, I just I just wanted to kind of yeah, just cheer for the Logitech Squeeze Box touch one more time because I probably won't ever talk about it again or <laughs> will make a big video about it unless something really dramatic happens. But I thought Yeah, I'd, I
2: would I sorry. would throw in just a, a like, another point and I, to my um, you know to me it's also a really lovely design. Uh, Right, You know, from a pure design standpoint, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it is unlike, it's an atypical design uh, if you compare it to other devices that do the same thing. And it's kind of still lovely, really, in a way. Size, you know, the shape and everything, the size of the screen.
1: It was really just like they hit such a home run with that. They really did. Yeah, they did. Yeah. I think it is really good. I mean, I don't really use a touchscreen to control it unless I want to go and change some settings or if it's playing up or whatever, but I can always hit the reset on the back. But hmm. even with that EDO applet that you can install, you can then use the USB socket on the back, which was originally intended to be used to connect USB storage devices. But then you can the EDO applet turns it into a USB output and you can connect it to a USB DAC again. Yeah. So I just... There's nothing, there's nothing really you can complain about with this product, not at all. Even, I think that's what it is, like right? even 10 years on, I mean, yeah, you could say the interface on the touch itself is a bit slow and a mm. bit, yeah, a bit janky. But then when you consider that there's no product coming to market right now that has a touchscreen, you, know, you know, a network streamer, a commercially available network streamer sold through a retail uh, distribution network, there's nothing. Well, nowhere near that price. No, um, yeah. But like, what, I mean, how much? Where do you? Where does the first touch screen appear? And what kind of money? I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to think of. Uh,
2: yeah, that's a tough one. Uh,
1: I can't think. Maybe offhand, the Hi-Fi Rose. I mean, that thing is an all touch screen. Like every surface of that thing is a touch screen. Row, right? <laughs> yes, yes. That was. The, that's what I was thinking of.
2: Yeah. Um, but that's,
1: that's several thousand, right? Yeah. Is there anything? cheaper than that i can't i can't think right now i know raspberry pi fans will go oh the seven inch pi touch screen blah 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 blah, blah. and yes mm. and you can set that up and make it into a um a virtual squeeze box touch you can do it with pi core player and something called jive light apparently which i only f- found out about last week um but the thing is about this the uh the pi's touch screen is the viewing angle on it isn't great so if you stand up and look down on it it looks mm. a bit murky and also if you look at it from below from left and right it's not too bad um but it's yeah again i think what pie people tend to forget is th- their interests lie in a product that involves a fair amount of effing about you know like there's mm. a, there's a lot to do with to build a touch screen pie it's not plug and play you have to do some sort of configuring you might have to get your hands dirty with a bit of command line stuff so it's miles away from the the finished retail product that was the squeeze box touch oh yeah of course right yeah. and it and also and, and to speak to your point the industrial design on a pie touchscreen streamer it just can't hold a candle to what logitech did because it's yeah. all pieced together with these kind of like cheap molded molded plastic cases and they're yep. okay and they're fine for the money i'm not complaining about that but they just it's not a, just a really nicely finished product, not even close.
2: Yeah, I would say that you know the Squeezebox Touch still sitting, you know, on a rack or wherever it's sitting, you know, it it, it still looks
1: looks the part. It does. Yeah, I mean, I just even if I'm not using it for music, I use it as a clock because obviously the, uh, <laughs> the default <laughs> right. the default screensaver is just a yeah. clock. Yeah. I, I think you, there's a plug-in now where you can set it up to display a clock and the weather and things like that. But I haven't, mm. I haven't dug into that. There are so many new plugins that have popped up in the last 10 years. That I don't know much about, Yeah. Um, you know, for, for ongoing music playback. So a bit like Rune Radio, you can do that now. And he's also a plugin for artist information, bios, album info, and things like that, all free. That, so it may be the best love streamer ever over time. I, I think so. Yeah. I think so. I, I could talk for hours about it, but we won't because <laughs> we need to move on because, um, you, you had a, a quite an, a fun weekend Michael last weekend.
2: I did. <clears throat> I went to the, uh, capital audio fest in hmm.
1: Rockville, Maryland. Okay. Before we, we get into your five highlights here, actually, can you explain to people who've never been to an audio show before? Hmm what the sort of physical layout is of this kind of thing, like where it's held and how how it what, what what are the mechanics of this? Yeah, sure. So the um,
2: Capital Audio Fest is held at the Rockville Hilton. Right, so it's a hotel. It's a hotel, a regular hotel. Hmm. And when the audio show takes over, they clear out the rooms, remove everything that they can possibly remove in terms of furniture, beds and Mm -hmm. dressers. Um, and then, you know, the exhibitors fill it back up with systems Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, so the, in, in most cases in these rooms, and it it is the case in many other hotels, the headboards are attached to the wall. So the headboards are like ghosts of, (laughs) you know, a reminder that this is a hotel room still attached to the walls. Some exhibitors, I think very wisely bring, um, you know, advertising screens that cover these yeah. things. Um, yeah. and I'll get, a, uh, I'll get to that in a second, but, um, yeah, so, you know, and this hotel being near DC, let's call it 40 minutes to DC. Um, and it's a very populated area. They have a, any number of large conference rooms as well, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, um, you manu- may, uh, sorry, exhibitors take over. Yeah. Um, you typically with big systems, because some of these rooms are enormous. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you you know, you have a variety of rooms, some very big, these conference rooms, and then normal size hotel rooms. And of course, some bigger than others. Um, and, you know, that's essentially, that's essentially how this works. Same with, the same with uh, Expona, you mm. know, that takes place in a normal hotel.
1: Because what? Uh, hmm. Yeah, my favorite um photographs of Capital Audio Fest are always of the lobby. Like the it's cause it is it like a, a lobby that is that how do I explain this really? Uh the it's atrium? From, yeah, so it's from the lobby you can see almost like the inside of the hotel if you look up.
2: Yes, it's got yeah, once you walk actually, yes, you enter, you can mm. as soon as you enter that hotel, you can see this atrium that is open from it's really the floor below a uh, mm. ground level all the way up to skylights. Right. So the, yeah, the whole center is carved out with this huge open mm. space that lets natural light in, which is very,
0: excuse yeah. me, very
2: nice. Yeah. yeah. And okay. so that, yeah, that ground floor, um, atrium area is, uh, where people sell mostly records Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a number, this year that was packed with vendors more than I've ever seen. Mm. Um, and then some others, you know, some, uh, there's a couple of vendors that sell vintage Hi-Fi and then, you know, perhaps a smaller company just showing static display of gear. Um, but it's a, yeah, for that, that's a very nice kind of, t- you you still get natural light inside the hotel, which is nice if you're spending, you know, three solid days inside
1: Yeah, it looks really good. It kind of reminds me of um, a a hotel I stayed at once out in Newport Beach when the the Mm. home Mm. home entertainment show was taking place over there. I like that design, that hotel design. I don't know whether it exists too much in Europe. Maybe it does a little bit, but certainly not in the hotels I've stayed in. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's, you know, clearly you've
2: got to, you you know, it's not the best use of space in terms of packing people in. Mm. Yeah, so if you're in a very congested expensive city, I don't think you're going to see that <laughs> design right. in, in a hotel, but you know, I, I maybe I, this is going out on perhaps a bit of a a fringe comment, but I don't think it's a stretch to suggest that that feature that allows all this natural light in plays some part in the general mood I find very consistent at that show at the Capitol audio Fest, and that mm. is people are generally in a good mood, walking around. As, uh, I'm talking particularly about attendees. I mean, it's a very upbeat show. It's it always has been. It was this year, um, and I wonder. You know, some of some of the venues that I've been to, you get down some of these long corridors, and you feel like you're in that scene from uh, The Shining. <laughs> mm. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like you know dingy dark mm. and i you know i hate to say it but you know sometimes not smelling all that fresh okay. you know and you know and being in that kind of thing for eight hours or something whatever anyway yeah, yeah. just an observation i uh, but to your point it's a very nice uh it's a very nice open airy feeling hotel the Twinbrook know- hilton
1: I want to pick up on the point you've just said about everyone's in a good mood and and pretty happy and positive because you and I prior to hitting record on this podcast, were talking about Bill Burr, the American comedian, right? And I heard him interviewed recently, uh, by a couple of British guys. And he was basically making the point that like everybody online is basically trying to tear each other's eyes out and faces (laughs) off with anger and just, just all (laughs) sorts of nasty behavior. Yeah. But then when you go out into the street, you just don't meet those people. You mm. don't see that division as being as evident or those kind of hostilities as evident. And I think it really, what you're talking about here also speaks to the 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 difference in realities between online audio files and mm. then audio files in real life, just like, like normal people, right? And what I'm trying to say here is that what you see online is it absolutely really in no way a reflection of what goes on in the real world. And whether that's politics or whether that's like hi-fi, which is a ridiculous thing to say, but I think it it really is important to emphasize that, you know, because if you're just sort of starting out and you're sort of poking your head over the parapet, looking at the hi-fi world, Hmm. you might look at some of the crap that goes on online to just thinking, I'm not going anywhere near that, but it, it, it doesn't exist in the real world. I've never seen. Oh, there was one fight at a hi-fi show a few years ago, wasn't there? But that was between two two <laughs> publishers, right? That was a real handbags at dawn moment. I'm not going to mention who they were. <laughs> there was a fight, yeah. But generally oh. speaking, <laughs> you've forgotten about that, haven't you? I um,
2: ha- I hadn't thought about it in quite some time. I'm not sure I'd call it a fight. I might call that a scuffle, but... <laughs> f- fisticuffs.
1: Fisticuffs. Handbags at dawn. <laughs> yeah.
2: But oh dear.
1: Generally speaking, there there isn't really any hostility at at any of these events. People are very friendly. And I think as much as I'm frustrated with the general concept of Hi-Fi shows now, especially the hotel-based shows, Hmm. I do love them because they are places where we you know, because we spend a lot of time at home alone listening to music, that's what audiophiles generally do. It's a it's a solo pursuit. So our only (laughs) sort of I guess interpersonal um, experiences with yeah with other people is generally at hi-fi shows or gatherings and things like that. So it's good to know that there are, yeah, places where you can go, where people aren't just going to kind of go, you bought what? You're a bloody <laughs> idiot, you know? <laughs> well, no, yeah. no one's going to do that in, in, in public. No one with any sense of shame would do that anyway. Well, yeah, it's you, this is a very good point. And uh, I, I don't want to harp
2: on this, but no, I. No, please I, do.
1: Harp on it. Go go for it.
2: <laughs> I am. Uh, so I have an example, I think, mm-hmm. of exactly what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So at the show, I met quite a number of people. Quite a number of people came up and, and um, expressed how much they enjoy listening to these uh, podcasts. Mm hmm. Oh, uh, they were saying they enjoy me mostly. No. Yeah.
0: <laughs> no, yeah, but it's okay. You know,
2: and they were all smiling, and it's like, yeah, I really enjoy them, you know, this kind of thing. And you know, I did most days um land in the bar after show hours for a little mm-hmm. while anyway. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's just it's it's a upbeat atmosphere people are sharing things they enjoyed mm-hmm. i didn't hear anyone say what were your 10 least favorite rooms and why did they suck so bad you know right. that's not the vibe so it was it was a completely lovely time i you know i get back here and i post 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 it's like dumping all this information out of out of your brain mm-hmm. and <clears throat> sure enough it, i'm not gonna say it doesn't matter what posts you know on instagram mm-hmm. posts. And um, someone comments about the des- industrial design of the thing that's in the photo of the post. Mm. Mm. And um,
1: snarky. in a good way or a bad? Oh, snarky way, yeah,
2: okay, snarky way. And like, gosh, some of these some of these hi fi companies, you know, they really should think about hiring an industrial designer. Just so happened, the thing he was commenting on, the company had hired industrial designer. So I pointed right. that out and he made you know some kind of uh, to my mind snarky response to that like with Ooh. a little emoji like with the teeth showing like oh and so this kind of thing i find fascinating it's just it's- online it's only online right it's o- it, it it is Because it would be like going to a a gathering, going to, let's say, a cocktail party. Never met this person before. And you start telling them how much you love the tips on your shoelaces. Mm -hmm. And you want to talk about this for like two hours. And you want to go on and on about how the tips on some other shoelaces – some super insignificant point Mm. that no one cares about. And you (laughs) think it's, it's everyone needs to know your opinion on the tips of (laughs) your shoelaces and you're going to get angry about other tips and you're going to, you know, you want everyone to, to eventually come to your side of this debate. Mm. And, you know, and I pointed this out to this person. I said, you know, I always find it interesting when people want to elevate their opinion to an objective standard. Hmm. And that's all it is. I mean, essentially, what he's
1: saying. You know, what I don't really like the way this thing looks. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair comment to make. I, I I'm not I'm not a fan of its looks. If somebody wrote that, I'd be like, yeah, that's pretty cool. Fine. Whatever. Yeah, well, th- right. That is the case. Yeah. But
2: trying to make it seem like ah, you know, I've read a book on industrial design and I like to look at nice photos, so <laughs> yeah. I'm an authority, and this thing is ugly. It's like ah, so what? In the end, it's you're just saying you don't like the way it looks. It's nothing more than that. And why share that? Hmm. It's like me going to someone's house meeting their wife and go in front of everyone at the dinner table you know your wife's not very attractive i'm just saying yeah <laughs> it's manners it's yeah. manners and knowing one's place and also like what what do you want to spend your time doing right i i don't want to spend my time like digging through the dirt of of uh people's opinions Mm. you know, especially negative opinions. It's like they don't serve any purpose except for the person making the comment to elevate themselves, at least in their own eyes, into some
1: sort of tastemaker. Yeah, authority. Yeah, I think yeah. that's what people want to be. I mean, yeah. yeah.
2: So, yeah, yeah. I, I just don't get it. And I eventually deleted that exchange because, you know, it's like dropping, I'm sorry, it's like dropping a turd on someone else's work. And that's what I said to him. I like, you know, you're talking about someone else's work
1: here. I, I, I tend to think of it as like somebody pulling their car up in front of your house, getting mm-hmm. out and, and then pulling down their pants and you know, doing, a deuce, <laughs> doing a deuce on your front lawn, right? That's essentially what it is in, in my book. But you don't, I mean, to bring it back to the, the show thing, you, people don't do that. People are very civilized and, Absolutely. They keep, and, and that, all that stuff stays inside their own heads which is great because you don't see people kind of going into a hi-fi room and looking at like the really expensive cables because there's loads of it around, right? Oh, gosh. Loads of yeah. crazy expensive cables and people go up to go, that's snake oil. Look at that. You don't see it because people are, they are civilized in, in, in real life, right? They've been, they know how to behave. Yeah, which is, was, yeah. I think I think that's really, really important actually, because if, if people were really that appalled, why, why not go up to somebody at a show and, You know, ask them about their crazy expensive cables and what makes them, you know, so important. But you don't, you don't see it. People, generally speaking, at a show, if they don't like something or they think it's crazy expensive, they just move on and go and find something that they do like. Right, right. right. Which is, I think, the best way to deal with things. Right, it's not for me.
2: Well, to my, yeah, also like in these, some of these after hours conversations uh, that move to subjects other than hi fi. And mm. let's say it's music, or let's say it's restaurants, or let's say it's movies. Mm. Normal conversation. I mean, tip in my experience, typically those go to sharing things you've enjoyed. Yeah. That kind of conversation. And whether it's movies, whether it's, hey, you know, local restaurants, you know, what did you enjoy around here? And, and that, you know, we're musician, whatever it might be, right? Um, and uh, we're sharing in enjoyment and, you know, we're hoping that the people we're talking to might find enjoyment in these things. Mm. And I, I would, if I encountered a group that were doing nothing but talking about how shitty restaurants are and films are and books are and all the shitty things,
1: I would walk away. Yeah. Who needs that? No one needs that, but it's actually not a very sort of. It it doesn't draw you in, does it? It actually it, it really does rep- I think it repels most people. That kind of negativity yeah. just repels most people. Again, this is why I think hi fi shows are important. I mean, I don't think they're at all useful for shopping for hi fi. I know a lot of attendees like to kind of convince themselves that this oh, is I'm, a place yeah. to auditioning gear, but I don't agree with that. But you know, it's it's. You know they're attending for their own reasons you know, that, that's fine but in, in terms of reminding everybody that the hi-fi world is generally a, a happy place to be yes i think they're great for that
2: yeah and i would say that capital audio fest is gosh it's it ranks really high up there as one of the happiest shows mm-hmm. i've been to and, it, right. and it's consistent from year over
1: year yeah so should we dig into the specifics, Michael? You've you've pulled up five, five rooms, right? I mean, I know you've done a whole load of coverage, a lot of coverage on your website <laughs> about this, right? How many posts did you do? 30 posts or something? I don't know.
2: I really don't. I didn't count. And, you right. know, I have to say, this my approach to the show this year was, was unlike other years, in that mm. I did not go with the intention of getting to every room, because this show had... 40 more rooms over last year, a total of about, let's call it 90 rooms. And there's Mm -hmm. literally no way I could do anything meaningful if I went into each of those 90 Mm -hmm. rooms. Mm -hmm. So I just wandered around and went into rooms that had some interest for me. Mm -hmm. That didn't always mean it was, you know, something new in there. Um, whatever with things that interest me um whatever it's not limited to one thing like oh yeah because that's an old show coverage thing you know people stick their head in do you have anything new no okay leaving (laughs) so anyway that's that wasn't my approach so i went to things that i was attracted to let's say that so i i you know i covered not even i wouldn't
1: even think half the rooms right okay well i mean that's i mean you obviously gave it your best shot so Yes. Should we start? Should we start with one? I think we've rambled generally enough.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah so I, th- I I think it's safe to say one of the biggest buzzes of the show <clears throat> was the new MoFi SourcePoint 10 speakers, mm-hmm. and the reason for a lot of that buzz is they're designed by Andrew Jones. Mm. And yeah, yeah so uh, these uh speakers they're actually you know when i first saw the press photos uh, the press release came and i think the day before the show perhaps the day of the show and i thought they were typical stand mounts uh but they're a bit beefier it's a yeah yeah it's a 10 inch concentric driver you're looking at which if you see a photo that will help you gauge their 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 size nonetheless they are stand mounts it's 10 10 inch concentric driver Hmm. with a one and a quarter inch soft dome tweeter Hmm. and um uh they are three thousand six hundred ninety nine a pair which these days puts them in the lower end of the price pool and um uh, you know of course again to your point you know this is a show i went in i may have been there for five minutes perhaps Hmm. there was some conversation during that five minutes uh I definitely spent some time taking photos. So in the end, did I listen for two minutes, perhaps? Mm. So I'm not
1: going to be talking so much about how they sound. But you can't, because it's not a reliable place to listen.
2: Yeah, but I will say um, I am very intrigued by them. And it, they were not in a small room. This was a, a two-room suite for... Mm. Uh, And this was the back of the bedroom area, but it wasn't small and they really filled that room with ease. So I Mm. really, I I think they would work just fine um, even here in in the barn space. So I I guess what I'm saying is that I was, I'm I'm intrigued enough to to want to uh, spend more time with them.
1: Mm. I think um, whoever is responsible for this thing is that they, MoFi need to, either recommend a stand a speaker stand that, that can be used with them or, or design their own because in their press shots and also in steve gutenberg's review mm. he's got them on a pair of i think the solid steel ss6 as i have and no. they're just the top plate is too small yes so and i just think they look a bit ungainly and awkward on those small stands they, they need to be on a sort of a, a stand that i think it's probably a little bit lower than 60 centimeters and maybe has a, a much larger top plate. So I don't know whether like a custom stand is coming. In um, the sh- yeah, but- at the
2: show, the stands are appropriate. And guess what? I didn't know <clears throat> who made those stands. I missed it.
1: Well, that's a fail on your part, Michael. It no- is. Noted.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I noted where they got the plants in the room from. No, I'm kidding. Um, yeah. But uh, the stands in, at the show, if if you look at those some of those photos, you'll see they're appropriate. And they look just fine, you know, because there are four um, legs, if you will, and they extend almost to the edges of the speaker, just shy. So, you know, it's a stable (coughs) setup. So all things I saw, Andrew Jones was, of course, attending. He was there at the show. He did a a little intro, which I missed. But I said to Andrew on the way out, uh, actually, I gave him the thumbs up. He was in conversation he mm. gave me the thumbs up back and he's what did he say it's getting kind of old isn't it and i said yeah andrew do me a favor can you design a speaker that sounds really shitty so i have something interesting to write about because i right. covered no end of andrew jones designed speakers for elac you know being the most recent you know lo- yeah. very good price that are you know that uh perform well let's just say anyway
1: yeah i'm looking at your photo now of those speakers on your website, and yeah, yeah the, the stands look a bit sort of Target esque. I don't mean Target, the the big department store. I mean Target. Are they called Target stands? Yes, they, but they, yeah, they, yeah, they're, they, they're just yeah. sort of four very strong pillars. So they're probably going to be fairly easy to find if you need to get them. Yeah, maybe they are made by solid steel because they make the rack that MoFi were using. Yeah, the MoFi Mo- distributes
2: do, solid steel. Yes, so, they do. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So would make sense.
1: I guess maybe the smart thing is 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 if, MoFi Electronics could talk to Solid Steel and say, "Hey, can you make us some custom stands for these MoFi speakers?" Yeah, that would, that would be a good move. Anyway, I, I'm not going to try and tell people how to that, conduct their business, but it would be a good idea, I think. Anyway, should we move on to the next room? Yeah, absolutely.
2: Um, and another show that had a lot of buzz, and it seems to be the case over time was uh so the voice that is um this is Doug White he's a dealer and distributor he's dir- distributor for and i've heard it pronounced both ways but tidal speakers or tidal i think it depends on where you live yeah i think in, in germany New Jersey, we say tidal cuz you know <clears throat>
1: we don't we don't move our mouths much when we speak it's it's a sign of weakness well, it's, <laughs> so it's, everything but it, i think out, it so. cuts both ways because i think yeah i think it is tidal in germany Hmm. But then Germans pronounce bows as "Borza," or some Germans do. Yeah, yeah. Because there's a word "Börse" with, with an umlaut over the "o," which means bad or evil or you know, unpleasant. So maybe they do it because of that. So I guess, yeah, it depends upon your upbringing and things like that. I mean, but I th- the thing is, when when you're like, a, I guess, a, either an an English dude, Australian, or American, and you come to pronounce. Even words like quesadilla, right, or just basic yes. words from other countries, other cultures. Yeah. If you really try and lean into the proper pronunciation, you end up sounding like a real wanker. <laughs> well, you can, right? <laughs> right? Like if you oh, say gosh. say croissant, right, instead of croissant, right? I mean, I, I, if people want to say croissant, I'm not going to go. No, it's croissant. Like, because it's I'm probably going to butcher the French pronunciation anyway, but. Yeah, it's just it's such a minefield. Like, what do you do? I I agree completely. Don't <laughs> try too
2: hard. This is the thing. Growing up, I mean, is uh, you know where I grew up in the part of New Jersey, mm. heavily Italian American, and it's a ru- it's a running joke about how we pronounce food, specifically mm. certain you know food items. And some Italian Americans that are born in New Jersey try to go the whole uh, Italian pronunciation thing, and it's it's kind of can be comical at times right so
1: do they say bolognese or is it bolognese <laughs> is that what they do oh god I, don't give me <laughs> I don't know is that the correct so the correct pronunciation of that word I don't know or is it uh, I mean cuz we all say bolognese but that's probably a terrible pronunciation but it, it, yeah it? I'm, uh,
2: yeah I'm <laughs> no authority I'm no authority cuz even my uh, grandparents who spoke fluent italian you know it's a dialect right so it depends, again, it's the same thing, it depends on where you're from. Yeah. But, you know, there's some, ch- anyway, let's, I I could keep going, but I don't think it's. <laughs> and, no, let's, let's come back
1: to Tidal speakers or Tidal yeah, speakers. So right. Yes,
2: yeah, so this room was shared, uh, so The Voice, that is, the dealer uh, based in Pennsylvania, shared with Vinnie Rossi. Mm-hmm. And so uh, there were a number of premieres in this room, one of them being Vinnie's uh, Brahma Separates. Okay. Wow. So this is the Brahma preamplifier, and that's its name. Brahma preamplifier, which is, let's call it 34,000. And the Brahma stereo, yeah, the Brahma stereo power amplifiers in this case use one each to drive the new Tidal Piano G3 speakers. So the stereo Mm -hmm. amplifiers are also 34 each, and Mm -hmm. the Tidal Piano G3 are 64,000 a pair uh they're floor standards okay and so you look
1: look at close to 200 grand for that system
2: yeah well yeah not counting cables racks yeah uh also the, yeah they were using a uh tight, I'm going to stick with tidal
1: mm-hmm. uh
2: contra's digital controller which was 60 grand oh wow okay as yeah. source so i mean one thing i will say I would I would hunt around for photos of Vinny's stuff if you're interested. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, because to my, my I mean he's certainly <laughs> he hired an industrial designer to get back to this gentleman's point mm-hmm. that I deleted on my Instagram <laughs> page. Um, uh, but to, you know to my mind they are. It's evident that real time and attention was spent on the look. They have meters that are that are made. Uh, in Vinny's shop in Massachusetts. These Mm -hmm. aren't like off the shelf. There's almost nothing off the shelf about this. And the remote has a full color OLED display um, that Vinny just uses as black and white, but he wanted that kind of quality. So Mm. he went with that. And that remote goes beyond being smart. The whole system, I've never seen anything like it literally um Mm. there's almost too much there really is too much to talk about um about this uh (laughs) about everything the preamp has a pair of 300bs in the circuit that are mounted horizontally Mm. you don't see them they don't stick out of the top and blah blah Mm. blah and of course people are like oh but okay does that mean they're gonna overheat it's like Vinny's an engineer let's keep this in mind he's an engineer he spent Mm. years developing these products i don't think he would overlook Operating temperatures and realize that the th- th- these 300Bs are not being used as output tubes. So they're being run, you know, very modestly. So mm-hmm. they're not being put anyway, on and on. But um, beautiful, beautiful looking. And uh, there's also Vinny had uh, premiered the Brahma integrated at Expona. That was there on silent display. And that is something I'd love to get my hands on. Mm. Uh, yeah everything
1: i hear about this 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 brahma stuff is just it's so meticulously well made absolutely
2: absolutely yeah, yeah. so that was uh Yeah, that was certainly a highlight for me uh-huh uh, and yeah, i'm gonna get sorry i'm <clears throat> i'm moving slowly ah right yeah so the next room <laughs> i laugh because the next room <clears throat> that i i'm going to talk about uh was hosted by Philip Mm O'Hanlon of On a Higher Note. Mm -hmm. And uh, Philip is a a distributor. Mm -hmm. He shared this room with Alma Music and Audio. Uh, They are a dealer with locations in California, and they're adding one in Virginia shortly. Uh, But the system, and Philip, it's essentially a marketing thing. Um, and he talks about mid-range magic. That's the phrase. It's on, uh, you know, it was on some of the marketing materials in the room. Mm. Um, I'm not so sure I'm in love with it, but I understand what he's what he's talking about, of course. Mm. Uh, but the speakers in this room are the limited edition Dirk Hughes Signature Series Gram mm. Audio LS Eight Slash One. Stand mount speakers. They they are ninety seven hundred a pair with stands, and they were driven by Moon River Electronics. Okay, uh, um, and I do have to say, I'll step back and say a number of rooms that this show sounded really good. Mm-hmm. Really good, meaning like oh, I almost feel like I was in someone's home. Good, right? Okay, and this was this was one of those rooms. Hmm. Um, You know the thing about it is again, if if you're in one of these smaller rooms, to my my mind, it makes sense to have a smaller speaker. I know it's unfortunate some some exhibitors have larger speakers to uh, to show, and they end up in a smaller room, and they stick them in there anyway, and it's nothing but wrestling, right? Mm -hmm. Wrestling with room problems, too much bass, on and on and on. So this room, everything was clicking, working. Uh, The source was a Brinkman. Uh Modi turntable with the mm-hmm. Thor linear tracking tone arm. Always kind of cool to look at mm. <laughs> a linear tracking arm. That's 17 grand uh, mounted with a HANA ML cartridge. Mm. And I, I can't tell you how many people over the last few months um, I've recently, I, I'll be reviewing a number of phono uh, stages and people are coming out of the woodwork. And a lot of them have to tell me about this HANA ML. It's like, ah, oh, look like whispering almost. Ah, <laughs> uh, for the price, the hum, uh, you know the hundred—it's twelve hundred bucks. Not inexpensive, but yeah. um, in Philip,
1: yeah, I've I've heard about them and I've heard good things, and I've kind of hemmed and hawed myself about buying one because I think phono cartridges are absolutely the one product you can't audition at a store. Really, can you? Not really. Not really. I mean, it's not or certainly you could never do an AB. I mean, that would take a, like an hour to swap the cart over and. By the time you've done the AB, it's like, well, (laughs) you've forgotten what the first one sounded like, maybe, or you probably don't have a very good handle on it anymore because I think audio memory tends to dissolve after about 20 minutes, maybe. Like when you're trying to split the the differences that audio files like to split. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah, Yeah, so uh, one of the things I really enjoy about... um, spending time in a room hosted by Philip O'Hanlon is mm. pretty much for each piece of music he plays he has a story to tell before he cues it up mm. and they in they are always educational and and very entertaining i at mm-hmm. least i find it so mm. he'll tell you about the music cuz he does not play typical music mm-hmm. uh, most of the time it's things i've never heard so he'll tell you about the artists, how he came, how he found them, and so on. I think it makes for a very, you know, a, a very nice and um, really different kind of approach to, to, you know, running a room at a show. I he think also poured me uh, a finger, uh, just a finger of mm. some um, very smooth whiskey, mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> you know, so. Um, I guess that helps. Yeah, it doesn't Wh- hurt. <laughs> You know, it's interesting. You mentioned about, you know, people like Philip Hannon, and I know Andrew Jones does this as well. Yes. Like he'll he'll talk for a bit, play a song, and then talk for a bit and play a song. Hmm. I mean, to me, I think more rooms than not should be like that. And yet the opposite is true, right? They're the exception, not the rule. Because you go there to be entertained, to be, you know, regaled with stories, even even if it's marketing or promotion, because that's what it's about, right? Yeah. Companies trying to sell their stuff. But I think part of the you know, the show element is often missing because in all too many spaces, it's usually some dude in the back corner just punching in things on an iPad seemingly randomly. But hmm. it, uh, yeah, they're fielding questions, but there isn't so much of a sort of, uh, what's the word? Stage presence. Yeah. That, you know, and I know that not everybody has a personality to kind of carry it off. Whereas like, I think Andrew Jones seems to be born to do that and certainly seems to be in his element when yeah. he's talking to customers because no one's there to grumble about what Andrew's done. Nobody. And I guess it would be mm-hmm. the same with Philip Hanlon. I, I just.
2: Yeah, I, I, there. Are, yeah,
1: yeah. Sir, yeah
2: th- I remember, you know, John Durda, I would add to the list. And especially mm-hmm. back in the Peachtree days, David Solomon, Yep, you know, can do this. John DeFore, I've seen do it on many mm. occasions. I know those are. That's not the complete list. It's just what's come to my mind. Um, I enjoy it quite a bit. I like learning about these things. I inevitably leave uh, Phillips' room with some iPhone snaps of album covers that I want to, uh, Mm. you know, to get. So um, it was a very. It just. It makes for a very pleasant experience. In addition to auditioning the gear, Mm. you know, it adds this uh, human interest and. side makes it a richer experience at least for me so anyway but the room itself very intriguing nothing well the turntable you know at sixty thousand is pricey the speakers at um 9700 was stands not inexpensive but not crazy the mm-hmm. moon river integrated was uh let's call it five grand mm-hmm. uh, it's just really a very nice system worked you know set up and worked well which is another philip o'hanlon hallmark i I mean i've known him since i started doing this Mm. and he's carried any number of brands he's done huge rooms at the old rocky mountain and he
1: always gets good sound because he knows what he's doing what do you think about the the look not the sound but the look of a linear tracking tone arm (laughs) yeah, t- <laughs> oh, uh, let me give you, let me give you my opinion first because, yeah because it might, might make it easier for you, right? I see you I, have one. I, I, clearly, I do. Because well, it came up at, at dinner last night. This this huh. very topic, and I'm like, I can't stand them. I can't stand really. The look. I can't stand watching a, a tone arm kind of go across another bar, and just I just like to see it sort of. Oh, that's so funny! Piv- pivoting around a point and just sw- moving freely across the record, and. I don't know. I just look at, I'm sure there are many people out there who love them or love the look of them or love the sound of Mm. them. And the next time I see one on Instagram, I'm definitely going to comment. Maybe I'll go to Brinkman's Instagram page and go, these guys should really hire an industrial designer. These guys (laughs) should really hire a proper tone arm designer. Right. (laughs) What I'm saying is, is they're not my bag and I move on. Right. But it just, sure. but it's, it's, it's nothing to do with sound. It's purely the mechanics of it and the way it looks to me. It, yeah, it I, looks too. It looks too rigid, and that's the only how way. Funny. I can, how right? funny! Funny. <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. I
2: mean, I, yeah. So for me, it appeals to a certain <laughs> OCDness I have. You know, this kind of uh, this this kind of gosh, it says I. don't know how to say it. It's just mm. this very engineered approach. Yes. Um, which I do um enjoy on some level. I which mm. remind if I can, it just an it's an aside, but it's it's yeah. The first CES I covered, I don't know what, what year it was many, many years ago. And it, this was when I was writing for Six Moons. So it had it was probably two thousand and six, seven or somewhere in that neighborhood. There was a company th- thales t-h-a-l-e-s mm-hmm. that was showing a new uh, uh ground up new turntable and tone arm and it was a linear tracking arm on this table mm-hmm. uh that and the designer was in the room and while i was there frank schroeder came in mm-hmm. and the guy who designed the um oh gosh the super expensive table that mike michael fremer had or has is that don't is it the guy from australia yeah, the name is Kato, I'm blanking. Gosh. So that's
1: um, is it is it Mark Doman?
2: Yeah. What's the, the table that I would recognize that?
1: Oh my goodness! It's like this is this is turning into like two old men who can't it remember really somebody's is. name. It really is. It's
2: <laughs> terrible. It's terrible. You can maybe edit it. Is it the Caliburn? Yes. Yes, the Caliburn. Yeah. Right. So three. Um, if you know them, and if you know the look of of
1: the tone arms, specific. Oh, okay, specifically. I can't stand the look of those turn either. Or yeah. I just, <laughs> aesthetically, no, sorry, not into it. I'm sorry. Well, yeah, <laughs> just, okay,
2: uh, actually, well, yeah, that's kind of funny. But so three very, very- <laughs> those, guys,
1: those guys should hire an industrial designer to, <laughs> to redo it.
0: <laughs>
2: oh, uh, heavens. God,
1: we're here all week. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. Try the waitress, try the veal. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh dear okay sorry uh, straight straight face back on yeah oh. so the but the thing
2: the fascinating part was so these, if you know the look of these <laughs> minus you know aesthetics uh-huh. uh, very different approaches to tone arm design and and these three guys um spent some time talking about why they chose their particular approach mm-hmm. to tone arm design mm. and, and um it was one of them uh, still obviously it's it's still remains of us just a great memory because they were just sharing um it's everything's a trade-off right Mm. in tone arm design speaker design there are trade-offs to be made and each decision you make um will get you down a different path and you're dealing with different sets of trade-offs. So Mm -hmm. the, you know, these guys had nothing but respect for one another. It was a perfectly delightful conversation. Um, and and it was super educational for me as a bystander. Mm. And I also really like it because, um, it gets back to this, this earlier point about behavior um, and audiophiles will have screaming arguments about the difference between a linear tracking arm and on and on and on, screaming, oh, you blah, 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 And, you know, here we have guys who actually make these things, who get along just fine, mm. and who, you know, can, who understand um, that each approach has its pluses and minuses. And as a designer, you do your best there's no think- right way and wrong way you do you, you pick a path and you, you just do your best so um anyway so yeah i have i i don't mind linear try- arms.
1: <laughs> do, right, okay yeah yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah i'm just i'm not a fan not a fan yeah. i'm sorry i don't know but the like, tr- traditional yeah pivot arms i think they look great all right then <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah but if I were online, I would be saying the only way to design a tone arm is, is not to do linear linear tracking. <laughs> linear tracking right. sounds broken and a, <laughs> a, like a normal pivot tone arm blows every linear tracking tone arm out Oops. of the water, right? <laughs> but if I was writing this online, that's what I'd say because yeah. that's, yeah, yeah. Online on is broken. It is broken for everything like on the online conversation about everything yeah. is broken. Yeah. Anyways, I know we talk at this a recurring theme in our mm. podcasts. And I know some of the listeners out there, Michael, they get a bit grumpy about it when we try and talk about these kinds of things. But <laughs> I don't know. I just think it's an important part of life now because we live a, a large part of our lives online, a large part, I guess, in the real world. But if you spend more time online, then let's call it off, like, so in the real world, Mm. you might have a distorted view of how the world is now, Mm. because all you see is the online version and because you and I publish online and a lot of what we do is online, you know, we're working in that field. So I guess we're exposed to more of the crap, let's call it crap or the detritus, let's call it detritus, right? Uh, Then I think most people, because other people can sort of float in and out very casually, but we're, we're there all the time, you know, making, uh, to use a modern word that I hate content. Mm, so, mm, um, mm. yeah, I think that's why we talk about it a lot because we're we've I guess we're plugged in all of the time. And I think if, if more of our time was spent at hi-fi shows, maybe we'd be less like that. Maybe I would, I don't know. But the thing is, I don't have the time for that. I don't, I mean, to take a week out to do Munich and then maybe another show in the year, that's as much as I have time for, to, yeah. g- to give to that kind of thing, you know? So yeah, because you, you, you can't assess products of those, sh- if we could assess products reliably, those shows, I'd be all over every single one. But yeah, one thing I learned from you know, traveling a lot in the early part of the 2010s was that yeah, shows are great, but they're not great for assessing gear. Not at all. Yeah. Anyway, sorry.
2: Yeah. Next room. Yeah, no. So there's um, the next room uh, featured uh, f- panel speakers. Uh, they're from a French company called Diptique. Mm-hmm. The speakers are called the Diptique Audio DP107s. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're eight thousand a pair. They stand probably about um, I don't know. Let's call it five foot or so. Mm-hmm. And um, I'd heard about these speakers years ago, but I'd never had an opportunity to hear them. So Mm. there was this anticipation thing. I knew they were going to be there. And uh, Diptyque are now uh, distributed in the U.S. by Fidelity Imports. Uh, Fidelity Imports had six rooms at this show, one next to the other. Yeah, a big – I mean, that you could safely say that's a big presence. Fidelity yeah. Imports also um, distributes per-listen speakers, which I reviewed, mm. uh, and a number of other brands, uh, Soul Note and on and on and mm-hmm. on. But anyway, yeah. I was really looking forward to, to to hearing these speakers, the Diptyque panels, because, you know, panel speakers, there's always um, – they're unusual. You don't see, you don't run across them often. I've had some ex- very good experiences with, of course, quad 57s are among one of hi fi's most enduring classic designs. I think it's mm-hmm. safe to say. Mm-hmm. I've heard any number of pairs, even, you know, at this show last year, um, refurbished quads, and they can sound ex- just like you just want to smoke a pipe and <laughs> pretend to be sophisticated and listen to them. You know, they're just. Wonderful. And not move your head. <laughs> well, with some, I have to say, with, <laughs> with some of the refurbished uh, quads I've heard, you know, mm. the, some of the, you know, those uh, typical quad, quote unquote, shortcomings uh, are lessened. But in, in any event, um, <clears throat> I'm very intrigued by these diptyque speakers, and I will be getting a pair of to review Hmm. uh they make i believe it's i think there are five speakers in the in the lineup Uh, the the dp107 second from the bottom there's a smaller pair Mm -hmm. that i believe um uh, eight i think there are six thousand a pair and then then there are a bunch of larger ones um But suffice it to say, I can't make any real end value judgments from a show, but I will say they sounded like I would like to hear more of them.
1: I think that's it. It's like going to a show is a tasting plate. Absolutely. If you taste this and taste it, oh, I wouldn't mind like a full full dish of that. Like, can you send the full dish to my house, please? Yes. Um, It's that kind of vibe, isn't it? I mean, yeah, but you can't. I don't know. It's a bit like, um, it's yeah. I think the word is smorgasbord or smorgasbord again Mm, mm. living in Germany. I've got no idea anymore how to say that word. I'm pretty sure it's smorgasbord. I know it's a Scandinavian word, but I never know whether you have to do the sh on the S anymore with any word because Germans obviously do that quite a lot. So, um, yeah, tricky. Yeah. I've, I've lost all sense of like, in in intuition with certain words now. I'm like, how do you say that again? <laughs> yeah, it's weird. Yeah,
2: you've moved around <laughs> the world too much. It's confused you. Yeah. It has confused me a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So the, yeah, the last room um I want I wanted to highlight was uh, Highwater Sound. Mm-hmm. Highwater Sound is an is a dea- uh, that's a dealer distributor, and it's uh, Jeff Catalano. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Jeff lives in, in New York city down near the and se- near the seaports, but in this tiny little, a few block neighborhood, that's that still looks like it did probably in the late 1800s. It's yeah. just a beautiful little area in New York that is well off the beaten path for anyone. Mm. Uh, but when you walk out the front, I, I visited him earlier this year, uh, I'd never been to his place, um. Uh, I went with Alex Halberstadt, my friend who writes for mm. Stereophile. Anyway, it's just a fabulous little a slice of the city. Um, so, Jeff, uh, Jeff, well, let me start with the system. At the show featured Horning, hi, Horning Hybrid Systems. The speaker was called the Aristotle PM sixty-five. They're floor standers. <clears> They're <throat> twenty-four thousand a pair. Uh, the thing about Horning. Is there super high efficiency speakers? I don't want to speak out of turn, but I believe uh these speakers feature a driver run full range with a tweeter and then rear firing uh woofers. Mm-hmm. And they were driven by a new Audio Frontiers signature 845 SE integrated amp. Mm. Uh, that's a $25,000 integrated. It probably weighs 200 pounds. It's a monstrously large integrated amp. And, you know, with 845s, I think it's 30 or 40 Watts per channel. Um, I, I am, well, let me just finish. So that the turntable, uh, gosh, I'm, is it TW acoustic? Table, it had two arms one um, for mono, one for stereo, one mounted with a mono cartridge, one with a stereo cartridge. Mm -hmm. And the thing about Jeff, he's Jeff is another uh, person who's got an encyclopedic knowledge of music. I mean, at his place in New York, there, I don't even, I'm not sure he knows. There, there are certainly, I think, more than 10,000 albums, Mm -hmm. easily more. So he always, he just plays vinyl, always just vinyl at shows and at home and he always plays everything he plays I'm like what is that like I and I literally have no idea and at this show he started he put on a record and I'm like I, I was building up the comments I was like I think I could guess at what this might be and of course I didn't even have the right continent <laughs> of where the oh. musician was from huh. so yeah it's always fascinating wonderful music and I know this may sound a little uh, trite perhaps hmm. Jeff's room is filled with live trees filled with live plants and an air purifier. So the importance of those two things, when you go into that room, the air, it, it it's has a freshness, right? The, the air you're breathing doesn't, it's mm. not musty. It's not stinky. It doesn't smell like somebody spilled something on a carpet in 1980 and was never cleaned. <laughs> and, uh, and it, it's kind of invigorating, right? Cause it's got, it's a pleasant, it's just pleasant and the and the plants are all over the place. And so you walk in and you kind of feel not like you're in a hotel room that's been emptied out and filled with hi-fi. It's a comfortable place. And you know, Jeff will, if you're interested, talk to you as much as, as you want to know about the music he's playing. Mm-hmm. And um he always he's another person who really knows setup. So his rooms always sound good, no matter what the room is. Um, and again, we name people, I believe I did earlier that, you know, it's just typically the case you go in the room, it's going to sound good because they know what you're doing. Anyway, this room is no exception to that. It's just wonderful sounding. And, um, it's another room. I guess I've almost picked every room that I want to review something from the room. But yeah, that 845 integrated, poof, I'd like to review that. It's just a fascinating
1: uh you know, it's a big beast of an integrated amp. Yeah, I'm looking at the photos on your website now and this is the room I I did see a shot of somebody else took. Yeah. And and yeah, basically Jeff brought the jungle yes. to, to his room, right? There's a lot of plants in there. Yes. which, as we know, have a huge impact on the way your bass mm. sounds. That's why I saw that in a video. Yeah, it's, it uh, must, must be true. true. It must be true, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay, well, that's, I think, yeah. And that was yeah. my, uh, so that's the, the five
2: highlights, or the rooms I chose to highlight. I mean, really, I called each post from this uh, coverage a highlight because, yeah, I mean, I picked rooms I wanted to uh Hmm. to enter and i wrote about rooms that i enjoyed for one reason or another
1: is it fair to say that most of the hi-fi that you encounter in a show like this is part of what i might call uh, me here more of a sort of an esoteric end of hi-fi you know uh, i'm i'm being a little bit You know, it could sound harsh. I mean, I don't know. No, not harsh, harsh. but I
2: mean, I I tend to be drawn toward, I guess, some of the more esoteric, I would say, from New Jersey esoteric things. You know, because you know there were other big like techniques had a room which was so crowded that I couldn't get in the door two times, two tries. Okay. It was that crowded, and I, I'm just. It was one of those. This always happens. There are rooms you definitely want to go to, but mm. I mean, it, I just didn't get back to 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 get in. So you know, there, there was, some, but you know, I guess it is a hallmark of Capilodio Fest, and it's one of the things I like about it. Yeah, there's there's more esoteric and smaller mm. brands and and companies and dealers showing some kind of. Things you won't see
1: anywhere else. Right. I'm not knocking I'm not knocking this at all. I'm just I'm just trying to give people the the bigger picture. Yeah. Right? Because if you yeah. expect to go to a show like this and sort of run into like Kef, Bowers and Wilkins, Morant, Denon, you know, these bigger names, I don't think they really have a strong presence, do they?
2: Not at this show. I mean, I right. guess you know, I would suggest that Expona um it's a much larger show and they mm. have much they have more and more of those those kind of old school big brand names. Right. Right. Yeah. So if yeah, if that's if that's your interest, that um for the US Expona, I think, would be the show. Mm. Okay. Yeah. 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 So to Gary Gill's credit, it's is another well run show, great vibe. And he Gary also has live music in the uh, restaurant bar area in the hotel, which is lobby level. Um Uh, friday and saturday night and it's and i i always enjoy that live music which is not always the case with bands (laughs) at shows
1: no not at all (laughs) (laughs) was that too polite (laughs) you're being diplomatic and i'm not
0: yeah yeah
1: but it is i mean the thing is it's it it's live music designed for the demographic and i'm not the target demographic of these shows yeah and it took me a, I mean, as a lot of people, I think a lot of people struggle with this, don't they? And I've done this personally. Like I kept going to shows thinking, why isn't this more to my taste? Right. Mm. And then <laughs> kind of the penny drops and you go, yeah, cause it's not designed for you, John, you bloody idiot. So it, yeah, it's, it's just foolish to keep going and just insisting yeah. that things should be different. It so, is, but oh, my- you know what, I, if, if you don't mind one more, yeah. No, go ahead. The capital
2: Whatever. story. One of the rooms I went into. Um, it was the MyTech room,
0: mm-hmm. and
2: uh, Mihao handed me the uh, iPad remote, mm-hmm. and and there was no actually when I went in, uh, there was no one else in the room. He was like, "Oh, mm. go, you know, just go listen for a while," mm. and. um Someone I know from the industry and hadn't seen in quite a long time came in, and the two of us sat there, and I was just playing music as if I was home, right? Mm. Really, just like one thing to the next. And I have to say, it was so much fun to be able to spend some real time, like eight, nine, ten full songs. Wow. Yeah, of just listening to music. I mean, I literally could do that forever. I mean, you hand me the remote and like just say go and i don't have to worry about chasing people out of the room Mm. Um, it was so pleasurable and i have to say i'm thinking like god imagine if and this really this thoughts whatever it was percolating but it's coming Mm. out for the first time imagine if at a show you know some of the rooms after hours just let us do that you know like come back at six when the show closes Mm. i'll give you the remote and i'll leave you alone (laughs) I mean that i i would enjoy it it would give me uh
1: i, I would enjoy that a lot but i yeah. guess i i mean even with a small group of people but as long as yes. that group of people understood that you were in charge of the of the remote and the that you were taking no suggestions like it, you were going to play exactly what you wanted to play and you were going to end any track exactly when you wanted to end any track yeah and you weren't going to entertain like hey michael play this like no it's you play what you want to play. You have pure autonomy, right? You're yeah. not there to please anybody else. So some people understood that. That's that's fine. I guess it's hard for some people to kind of deal with that situation. But yeah, yeah I mean, because for
2: me, um, you know, listening whatever listening to music, and especially when I'm home, right, listening to mm. music, it's my mood. It's where I'm going, and it, it you know, it's an, um, it's a mood altering experience. It is. Yeah, it is. And, I'm, I'm, and I am and I have to say, I am addicted to it. Mm. You know, I mean, I do like, I'm sure as you do, you know, this is a large chunk of my day, day after day for years. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm very much addicted to it. So when I go to shows, and I, I am listening to music selected by other people, and I have to say it shows you know, 99% of that music is not to my liking. It could mm. get me a bit edgy after a couple of days, right? It's like, God, I just want to hear some music I enjoy. So that was just, it was su- such a treat anyway. And it's something that has ne- never happened at a show before. And in part because of the hour, it was early in the morning. And unfortunately, uh Fest does have this one corridor that is well off the beaten path. Mm. So unless people are being kind of like, Unless they want, they know they need to go to the rooms that are there. People don't typically wander easily down that corridor, which is why I had the time, or we had the time we did in that room um, mm. to ourselves. Anyway, it was a lot of fun.
1: Are you going to tell everybody the story that about what happened to you at the oh. bar? I think it's, well, <laughs> gosh, I almost forgot. <laughs> I, I don't deliver- know whether you were doing it to be, to be kind to me or not, but probably not. <laughs> <I forgot. laughs> no, why would I do that? <laughs> I, I, yeah, I don't so, give a shit. I think it's funny. Like, go explain to me. Yeah.
2: After hours, um, I was at the hotel bar and it's right in the lobby. So, you know, and it's open, open to mm-hmm. open to the lobby. Anyway, I was at mm-hmm. the bar and I was talking to uh, someone who was there who had come down actually from Brooklyn um, because he's, in, he's looking for a new hi fi. So he took Amtrak down, you know, just to check out a bunch of gear. Mm-hmm. And uh, we struck up a conversation. Super nice guy. Um, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed our conversation. But as we were talking, and again, bar, so I'm, I, I, you know, I'm turned facing him. Someone sat next to me on the other side. And at some point, he very politely interrupted. He goes, I know you. Uh, I know you and I was like oh hi I'm Mike." you know I introduced him. and he's like oh no 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 wait 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 you're the guy that has like the little cartoon picture of himself up on the corner of his website and I'm like you think I'm John Darko uh <laughs> and he's like yeah Darko and I'm like dude he's like six <laughs> six he has no white hair like <laughs> was this was this guy a uh, visually impaired <laughs> he was not and he just sat at the bar, so I can't blame it on alcohol. Um, anyway, yeah. Yeah. Oh, so there you oh, go. Dear. We're twins. I didn't know you realized that. <laughs> we are essentially twins. Oh dear. Dear, oh dear. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know whether to be insulted or
1: complimented. I, I've got no idea.
2: <laughs> well, that you look like a sixty-some-year-old man.
1: I don't need take it however you want. <laughs> well, I look like a short Italian dude. <laughs> No offense to all the short Italian dudes (laughs) out there, because I know there are many of you. you
2: (laughs) All right. So I have a, I have a, uh, I do have a tip uh, for anyone who's at an age where they're feeling as if, you know, uh, they're getting toward the older side of the spectrum. And that is, If you're, you know, anywhere, it's not just a hi-fi show and people say, you know, hi, how are you? And they talk to you. And if age comes up, I add 10 years now. It's like, oh, you know, and how old are you? I say 70 because they're like, damn, you look good for 70. I'm like, (laughs) thanks.
1: But you should be worried that they believe you. Well, it is a risk. So, you know,
2: soon I'm going to have to bump it up to 80. You know I mean you do have to yeah gauge gauge the appropriate distance so that people will continue to tell you you look good,
1: yeah I think you should you should do what every other middle aged dude does on social media or LinkedIn or whatever that I see this is a common trend right hmm. a dude maybe in his fifties maybe his sixties and his profile picture is from, <laughs> when, is from when he was forty two right have you noticed this I've noticed this, this You see this a lot, right? People using long out-of-date photos as their profile. It's always come on. Yeah, you know,
2: that is that's a that it's not my style. That is not my style because in those cases, if you're at all in some way a public figure, Hmm. and then people do meet you, that's not what you want. Because if that if you do that and they see you in person, they're like, whew, you must have had a rough couple months. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah dude you got to hell i knew a guy years ago doesn't matter who and his uh the, the the only photos he had online i finally met him in person i was like damn you look a lot better than your photos he goes i do it I'm, i do it intentionally he's the guy really? only put pictures of me looking not so great online so that <laughs> when people meet me they go damn do you know." okay so these are you know these are little, nuggets, little nuggets this is why that. i have a,
1: a cartoon um avatar because it it's uh, just it's easier to uh, manage although eventually i'm gonna have to update it with some gray hair you're gonna have to age it <laughs> i'm gonna have to age it at some point <laughs> yeah i just yeah. I, I will have to age it but i do I, it it does it it's good that i don't have to keep updating my photo every couple of years but the thing is hmm. i'm now on youtube more than anything nah, else i do true enough so my face is out there all the time so i don't it doesn't really matter that much i mean i Hmm. I quite like the idea of the South Park logo. But if if somebody thinks that you look like a cartoon character, Michael, I would be (laughs) worrying. (laughs) Yeah, that guy's a joke. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right, let's move on. Let's move on because um I mean I know I talk a lot about yeah, this concept of future fire. That's basically everything inside the speakers or everything inside. The amplifier so i'm talking about the, the streaming system and the dac and maybe mm. a phono stage and all that kind of stuff maybe room correction um in the last couple of weeks i've gone back to a very separate space system and i'm probably going to do a, quite a bit of this mm. in the next few weeks i think i don't know I, I, very often it's just like whatever it takes my fancy in, in any given week after we've done it you know because the last couple of weeks or few weeks i've been listening to the lsx2 from kef and there's a video coming mm. but I've also been listening to other things in parallel um, that I had to take out when we filmed the LSX2 review the other day. And basically most of that is, well, it's been sent. I'll talk about the electronics first. Mm. So they are the Peachtree GAN 400 power amplifier, which is a a GAN-based class, it's a GAN-FET-based class D amplifier, which sounds wonderful,
0: Mm.
1: and a PS Audio BHK signature preamp. PS audio, new wave, phono converter, phono stage. Mm. And then at either ends of this system, I've been sort of tinkering, but what's really interesting is that for all those really very expensive electronics, the speakers I've currently got set up are a pair of Kef Q150. And this is, I think their entry level stand mount speaker. Mm. And what's quite interesting about this speaker is it's list price is 600 bucks or 600 euros
2: yeah but
1: but yeah (laughs) but at least half the year this year i've noticed that it's been down to 299.
2: yeah that's what i'm looking at it now and that's yeah i see it across the board at 299 yeah
1: right (laughs) i think that 299 goes away for a while then comes back Mm. so i decided to take the plunge and i bought a pair Mm. because i thought i want to hear these i want to see what they're what they're like and if they were a 599 speaker, I'd be like, yeah, they're okay. They're good enough for 599, but at 299, oh my goodness, they're incredible. And I think this speaks to a couple of things here is something that I've said in a, in another podcast about there's no such thing as a bad product, only a bad price, because if they cost $1,500 and you put them next to the LS 50 meta, they wouldn't hold up. Not really. They're mm-hmm. a very different style of speaker. they are a lot sort of more loosey goosey in their sound a mm-hmm. bit. Well quite a bit more opaque but i think they have a certain liveliness that i really really enjoy and sound mm-hmm. staging is pretty large mm-hmm. but that sound staging or rather what you get between the speakers seems to be as much determined by the electronics as the speakers themselves mm-hmm. because prior to putting in this separate thing i was just running the blue sound powernode edge with them Ah. And it sounds perfectly fine. It sounds very, very good. And for the money, you couldn't complain. Hmm. But then when I whack in like a three grand power amp, but I think it's a seven or eight grand preamplifier, like the imaging really sort of begins to pop and you start to s- literally see sounds properly placed between the speakers. Hmm. And I thought that was really interesting. And I think it, a lot of it, I think, comes down to the preamplifier. And to me, the pre a, a preamplifier is possibly... least interesting component of a hi-fi system and because normally for me it's baked into an integrated so i don't really get to see it separated out yeah but if i was into separates i think preamps they could be a bit bit dull i don't know maybe i'm wrong maybe i haven't experienced enough of them that's probably it but Mm. but this this preamp is really really something else
0: Mm.
1: and i've had it for many years but every time i put it into a system Mm. i go yeah this sounds great Mm. and with the uh Peachtree power amp, It's just a fantastic combination uh, yeah so but it's weird because like you wouldn't nobody would normally set this up, right you wouldn't put all these electronics with a three hundred speaker be sure, yeah, right it's not something that most people would do, but I did it well, just because i've got it all got it all here, and I was transitioning from one system to another, and I just I think these q one fifty For three hundred bucks, are bloody fantastic. Mm, mm. And if you can't afford an LS fifty Meta, or if you do prefer a sound that's less analytical and Mm. less—I don't know what the word is—less, yeah, less together. And you know how people like to talk about speakers; their bass is like, yeah, it's good and it's tight. Mm. Well, the bass on the Q one fifty, I don't think is very tight. I think it's a little bit loose, but I think that's okay and that works. It it kind of makes for. I think an easier listen, maybe more of an emotional listen than a, a cerebral or mental listen that I think mm. the LS50 Meta really tap into. Mm. Mm. And obviously, LS50 Meta are I only I only know the uh, the German price, which I think is thirteen hundred euros. So let's call it thirteen hundred US dollars because they're pretty much those currencies are on parity pretty much at the mm. moment. So I, I just think the Q150 are a bargain at yeah three hundred bucks. Yeah, and they've displaced my previous favorite, the Dali Spectre Two, which are 300 huh. Okay. Yeah. Because they give us a bit more low end. Uh, they're a bit more incisive in the top. The Dali are very laid back mm. and a bit, uh, what's the word? I mean, they use a paper driver, which I think is paper drivers to me. Mm. I'm generalizing here. I'm going to get shot for this. I don't know. They've, they're really good <laughs> with voices. They're excellent with voices and I'm not saying the Q150 aren't because they're, they're great. And because of the Uniq driver array, the, yeah, mm. the coaxial or uh, concentric driver array, I think that obviously sets those speakers up to be great at, at imaging or image depth, right? yeah So I think that's what allows the preamp and the power amp together to give a really nice center image, a very solid center image. But the other thing that I've acquired recently, and I bought this because I didn't want to review it. I just wanted to own it. And I, I kind of have this kind of guilty pleasure where, because I don't own a car, I don't have to pay car insurance or maintenance and things like that. I can afford to buy a new turntable every year. Mm-hmm. Right. That's what I do. Like in, you know, it's like a, a new laptop every couple of years, a new yeah. phone every few years. Right. So I buy a new turntable and this year I bought a, Now this is where the, uh, yeah, <laughs> the localization of words comes in. Right. So Americans say Thorens and Germans say Torrens. So I bought a Thorens turntable. I bought the, the TD 1500, which I guess I wasn't paying attention when I bought it because I found out afterwards that it won the uh, ISA award this year for like turntable of the year or whatever. <laughs> um, but it's, it's surprising me and I bought it because it's to me design wise and aesthetically, and I think pretty much everything about it is very, very different to my other main turntable, which is a Rega Planar 8.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, the yes. Planar
1: 8 looks modern. It's skeletal frame is, uh, I guess, high, what I would call hyper-modern, whereas the Thorin's is designed to look like a, a traditional old Thorin's turntable, uh. and it's got the suspended sub-chassis. Is it sub-chassis or chassis? I don't remember now, but basically the the uh, the platter and the the tone arm are sort of decoupled from the motor. Mm-hmm. They're on this. The, the chassis kind of wobbles, right? So if you push the yeah where the chassis is mounted, it, it moves around. And this is, I, I think, the only thing I don't like about it hmm. is that when you pull the tone arm out of its clip, the that sub chassis or chassis that's yeah on loaded on springs, uh. it wobble It wobbles a bit.
2: Yeah, a little and, wiggle room. Yeah,
1: right. Is that is that normal? Because this is my first experience with this kind of turntable. Is that that must be normal for a Thorin's turntable, right? Uh you know what?
2: I don't have experience with uh, Thorin's oh, okay. tables. <laughs> Thorin's tables. Yeah. Now, I maybe. A, I, did, did you go which finish? Did you get? I'm just curious. I got the walnut. Is it walnut.
1: The wood. The wooden yes. one, not the black. Yeah, the one. wood yeah, one. one. Okay. okay. Yeah. 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 Because I, I just like the aesthetic, and I, I like the the whole aesthetic of this turntable. Yeah. Uh, very much. And. I know people like to pigeonhole me as somebody who's only into like really modern-looking things, but I, I I love this the vintage aesthetic, and I just I love how this th- You know, when you look at a turntable and it gives you a certain level of satisfaction when a record is playing, and you're like, Oh God, gotcha. enjoying the record, right? I'm really enjoying the record. I'm enjoying the sound. I look across the turntable, like, Yeah, this is good, right? So I've I've only had this thing for a week, so this is really sort of hmm. first impressions. Um, But I, I think it sounds fantastic, and what I love about the sound of this turntable. Is that it sounds very dense, tonally dense, as it in instruments seem to have a density to them. Mm. And they sound big. And I don't mean that they that means that the whole soundstage itself has to kind of expand to accommodate them. It's just that they sound large and more present. That's the word present, present inside yeah. that that soundstage, mm. right? So everything's very much there, and I don't mean it's eager, or it's keen, or it's bright. It's nothing of the sort. Mm. I should add that we're talking about an Autophon 2M black cartridge, which is the same cart that I have on my outgoing, well, outgoing in, in inverted commas, Rega Planar Eight, mm. which is why I bought this this table with the 2M black, so I could do this comparison reasonably reliably. Right, same cart on each, although I've got to run this one in a little bit more, I think. But I'm I'm super impressed with the sound. I was playing a mm. An ambient record from 92 well it's ambient techno so there's a bit of there's a bit of duff in there you know a bit of, <laughs> bit of kick drum and uh, this morning and it's interesting because somebody asked me the other day like how you know how do you decide john whether to buy something on cd or, or on vinyl and normally if it's an ambient record i'll just buy the cd because the the pops and the clicks drive me crazy but mm. if it's an ambient classic like uf orb is it's uf orb by the orb from 92 if it's a classic i'll buy it on vinyl because i want to hear it yeah and i, I gotta say i think that playing that this morning i, I don't recall enjoying it as much as a, when i've heard it on a stream or huh. via yeah. a cd now yeah. i gotta be careful here because that's audio memory right that's oh, yeah but but it just sounded so big mm. like all the instrument, I know, there were. There's that old cliche. I heard things I hadn't heard before that, that took place, mm. but maybe it's because I'm a better listener now than I was even a year ago. I dunno, but it was just the sound of this Thorin's turntable just mm. is mm. so makes music sound so live or alive. Yeah. Um, I, 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 run the risk of disappearing up my own ass when I took, <laughs> you know, that's why I prefer to like script the words a bit more carefully for a video. So even though I'm, you know, I've got notes in front of me when I'm shooting a video, the words I choose, they're pre-selected so that I don't don't sound as pretentious as I did just then. <laughs> but, oh I hope no. anyway. But I just, you know, it's, it's a, okay, so pricing-wise, it's mm. it's 2,200 euros with the Autophon 2M Black, which is a great deal because I think normally it's 26. And I think this turntable, so the, the Thorin's version that sells in the USA, I think it's three grand just for the turntable itself. I could be wrong, but I did see a, a review of it somewhere. I think quite the price is three grand. So, but because it's, it's a German turntable, German company. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm super impressed with it and I, I really enjoy it. Apart from when I have to pull the arm out of the, it's like a reverse C clip, right? So it's a pull it out of the clip and then the whole thing wobbles for like a couple of seconds. Yeah. And then yeah. It settles down. I wish it was like a U shaped, not a clip, just a U shaped yeah. yeah, rest that holds the tone arm because then you wouldn't be pulling it out. And there wouldn't be that moment where that energy is released from the, the clip. Right. So, yeah, yeah, but that's, yeah, that's my take on it. But th- th- those are my sort of initial impressions of this Torrens turntable. Hmm. I, I don't know whether I'm going to get a t- time to do a, the plan is to do a kind of comparison review with the regular play Eight cause they both have the same cards, mm-hmm. But I don't. I don't know whether that's going to get done before I disappear into the Mediterranean for a couple of months. Who knows? Maybe. Maybe not. Yeah. But <clears throat> but it's it's just amazing that you know. I guess if I had to say what the difference is to the Rega right now, I'd say the Rega has this sort of very zippy sound. Uh, yeah. But it it doesn't feel like the instruments are. Connecting quite as much because it's like a stone skimming across the surface hmm. of, a, of, a, of, of a pond when you when you spin it, right? And you throw it. Like it's very fast and it looks very impressive, and it kind of has that sense of urgency, hmm. but it, it doesn't have the solidity. That's the word, the yeah, solidity yeah, yeah. of the yeah. thorns, right? Yeah. And so it's, it's this really solid sound. So maybe that's my review right there. Maybe I'll try to make a video. <laughs> <laughs> but i would Sorry. like to
2: if you mm. don't yeah no go ahead go ahead yeah this notion of um of getting pleasure from the appearance and the feel and the mm-hmm. you know especially for turntables i completely relate um mm. and because i'm going into so i fairly recently also invested in a turntable one one that i've been eyeing for decades really mm-hmm. And that's the Michelle gyro S E. Mm-hmm. And I have to say getting it and playing records on it and watching it. Cause what, if you've seen it, you know, they have these brass weights that are hanging mm-hmm. off the bottom of the platter. So when it spins, you see them. Um, it's just a, such a treat. I'm not over it yet. I'm still in that, like, uh, you know, that initial, uh, grace period where I'm just infatuated.
1: By yeah. The honeymoon period. Yeah, right. yeah.
2: Watching it. Um, watching it play records so i I totally relate um yeah
1: yeah i mean the other there's there's a really small detail which might sound unbelievably um what's the word not petty well maybe petty i mean insignificant but so when you drop the lid on Mm. the on the front of the the lid there are two kind of soft pads on the underside so when you drop it it doesn't make a donk sound yeah on on the plinth and so the 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 Less expensive Regas do. They have a r- sort of a rubber thing on the corners, but it still goes donk. And some of the projects <laughs> I play with they give you that donk, right? And I hate the donk. Yeah. Don- so you, you lower the lid on the on the on the torrens, and it just you, you just feel it kind of squishily land. Mm. And it's mm. like, oh, that's so satisfying. And it's such a small, insignificant thing. But these things are really important, right? I'm yeah, well, sure. The, yeah.
0: Hmm. I'm sure I mean, people, it,
1: yeah. Yeah, it's sorry, it. that is the
2: thing about a turntable, you interact with it. Yes, Every time yeah. you use it. It's a physical connection. You know, you're moving things around. So how it's made, you know, how how um you know, I've 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 owned a Riga P3 for decades. Mm. And um, you know, there's a little wiggle room everywhere, you know, with the tone arm. So it's not mm. this precise thing, which is fine. Again, I've owned it and used it for many, many years.
1: Mm. But
2: this Michelle table is very precise it's beautifully made so you get you know when you t- when you're you know queuing up a record you get this just you know it's relaying a different kind of message you know there's mm. it's just this solidity and a, this like you know it's clearly machined um to to
1: high tolerances and that's kind mm. of reassuring on some level anyway uh, yeah because i see people especially in my youtube's com- comment section youtube's youtube comment section is that like vinyls <laughs> it's like vinyls there's many there's many youtube videos <laughs> yeah people kind of kind of go well you just like vinyl because it's just a nostalgia trip yeah. you just like this because it's just sentimental value mm. but it, it, that's just so dismissive of something far deeper yes because the connection we have with the products that we buy and own goes beyond i mean the case of hi-fi goes beyond audible performance and sound quality it goes mm-hmm. it, 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 it sort of the, the physicality of these things and the aesthetics leak into all of our interactions with that particular piece of hardware, right? Like if you've got a, let's say you've got uh, an amplifier and the volume knob, when you turn it, it doesn't have a satisfying feel. Yeah. That's a turn off, Right. Mm-hmm. And it's, I know it again, it's very insignificant and they'll, they'll, there's, there will always be a queue of people ready to say, well, it doesn't matter as long as it sounds good. And I, I disagree. <laughs> I think it does matter. It doesn't matter probably as much as the sound, not quite, but it's a large proportion of the enjoyment factor of yes. buying something, right? Like the squeeze box touch and its little mm-hmm, mm-hmm. colour screen. Yeah, it's a bit, I guess it looks a bit hokey now. But it's still a, you know, it's a, still a colour screen which you don't get anywhere else. Yeah. So I don't know, the, the turntables are a different thing because that whole sort of looking across at it and watching it turn and play the record is an important part of the experience. Mm. And I don't think it gets spoken about enough. Even yeah. like the tape spooling inside a tape machine, it's watching something move, I think, is pivotal to the listening experience. Or, and that's why digital audio, I think, mm. is, it misses with some people because there's nothing to look at. You say, where do you put your focus. I mean, yeah. especially when you don't have a a, a booklet or a LP sleeve to just hold, I think you need some kind of focal point. And with digital audio, there isn't one, which is why I'm a big fan of even small screens generally, sure. because it gives you something sure. to look at. But. Yep. Well, yeah, to get
2: back to this, um, to the person who I gave a very hard time to commented about industrial design <laughs> on Instagram, but really, I mean, to, to, to the to the points we're discussing i mean we are talking about exactly this you know the design of things to look the feel so you know perhaps if he had said you know this doesn't appeal to me i really love the look and feel of this other thing mm. you know
1: that is a great conversation it is a great conversation yes because you you you're not just complaining but you're offering a solution in a yeah, comments right yeah. yeah and giving you know
2: some indication of of what you're talking about beyond just a negative you know but so al- um, but also you hmm. what
1: you're doing there as well is sorry to cut you off michael but like basically yeah, i think your objection to this dude's comment was that he was trying to make his personal judgment sound like a universal truth yes and I, yeah. I i see you see this a lot in comment sections people are like well that thing is ugly right? Well, yes. mm, is it though? It might be ugly to you, but to somebody else, it might be the best looking, whatever it is that they've ever seen. Yes. So, But it is, I think it is this sort of, ele- yeah, the, the attempt to elevate once a personal opinion to a, a higher status than that it will really hold. But if you just remove the bit of like of a sentence that really needs to be there, like I think, or, you know, in my opinion, I know it's, some might say that's a redundant thing to write when Man. you're giving your opinion, right? Because you don't need to say that. But but it, I guess it's the opposite end of that spectrum. It's like you're trying, yeah, basically trying to make... I think you're trying to make yourself sound a little bit self-important, really, are you, when you write things like that?
0: Well, you know, yeah, because...
1: Everyone knows that direct drive turntables aren't as good as belt drive, right? Yeah. You, do they? <laughs> no. Well, it is,
2: again, yeah, it's this ele- elevating you know, taste Mm. to some other level and it's just not appropriate. I mean, it doesn't stick because it's, you know, in the end, if it did, does that mean I have to consult with this guy about everything I buy? Oh, I like to look at this, but this guy said that thing that I liked wasn't well-designed from an industrial design perspective. So do I have to run, like, is he the authority? Is he the guy? Like it's ridiculous. You know, it's it's an absurd position, but he's spending time to type this comment. So just by saying, you know what, that doesn't really appeal to me. That doesn't make him, I would imagine, feel the same as, oh, God, he needs a higher industrial designer because I'm, you know, I'm an authority on these matters. And
1: right. I mean, it's. You know, a, there is a word for these these kinds of people. I'm going to say it in this podcast: hmm. blowhards. These people are blowhards <laughs> with their blowhard attitudes. Right? It's just it's just a load of hot air and noise. I yeah. wouldn't even to them. Like, no, nah, just don't even I give. I tried, them
2: shit. and it it really went it, it went where you would expect. I tried to be courteous and polite. It wasn't taken that way. So then the personal kind of digs start to come you know and, yeah, it's, just, and it's not it's, yeah, it never goes
1: like, it, never, it never goes well
2: never. no it's a script you know i i knew i i, I should know you know i of course i do yeah. really know better but i tried it's been a while since i've engaged i figured let me give this a shot and it's like oops nope didn't work <laughs> out and yeah. yeah i mean i'm sorry but just as a general rule so people know and they don't waste their time if you come and drop a turd on my instagram comments it'll Disappear? No, just hose it. Yeah, I'm the dude with like the doggy bag waiting to pick it up and throw it away.
1: (laughs) It's not going to stay, right? I think that's that's the the way to be. It's the way to make the internet a better place for the the people who have to suffer these blowhards silently, you know, and have to endure the the level of douchebaggery that they kind of perpetrate all over the internet. It's just, and it
2: also tends to stifle other people sharing yes, I mean,
1: yes exactly yeah Yeah,
2: because as soon as i deleted not as soon but soon thereafter once that was gone at least one person came on and said wow you know that i really like the look of this i doubt it would have happened if i had left that other guy shitting on the design
1: up there yeah, because it's weird. like oh god i like it but i'm not going to say anything because yeah because uh, the, the blowhard's already uh, given mm, his opinion yeah yeah, yeah totally mm. all right let's um let's try and move this podcast towards a close Michael by doing what we normally do, suggesting an album. Do you want to go first? Sure.
2: Um, yeah, the, the, it's actually an EP that I am going to talk about and it's, uh, Julian Baker Mm -hmm. and it is called B sides. Uh, it's a three song EP. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's a, even for an EP, it's short, but, um, Julian Baker, uh, I I would recommend any of her records. Uh, I have them all. She also was in the the so far. It's been one record of a band called Boy Genius. Mm -hmm. That's Julian Baker. Uh, Phoebe Bridgers and uh, I knew
1: that name was going to come up somewhere.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Lucy, are w- ever, yeah, are you working for Pitchfork now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. Um, Lucy, I don't know how to say her last name. Ducas, D-U-C-A-S. Perhaps that's right. Anyway, but Julian Baker, this there's a song on this EP called Guthrie. It's the first song that just crushes me. I've i li- probably I don't know how many times I've listened to it. Mm. A lot a lot a lot and every time i'm totally drawn in as soon as it's just her with acoustic guitar it's rough it is literally b-sides mm. you know these are songs that were recorded and not released previously uh, it's rough you can hear a lot of finger squeak on the strings and a little um fumbling not fumbling mm. you know it's just not perfect it's not like a perfect it's thing, loose but- yeah, and it's just so good i hmm. just really i did play it while while well, well, i had control of the remote in that my room i did play it and i played it in one other room and it just gets me every time i don't know anyway that's
1: that's that's the way the way songs should be like yeah. the ones that really get you yeah yeah actually that's that's a neat segue into into an album that i'm not going to recommend but i'm going to bring it up here because it might because i think it might bug you <laughs> me personally, yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe nothing bugs me. <laughs> <laughs> so, to to excuse the pun here, but I think it's pretty funny. I finally caved and uh, bought that that vinyl box set of the Nick Cave B sides thing because it was discounted in November. Wow! Right, so like seven LP set. Yeah, and I I featured it in a video a couple of weeks ago, just talking about recent purchases I you know that I'd made for physical music, and somebody wrote. How do you know how that song sounds that you spoke about when it's clearly you, it's clear you haven't opened the box set yet. So I'm going to answer that here because, you know, as a Nick Cave fan of like 30 plus years, hmm. like I didn't just buy this box set and go, I wonder what all these songs sound like, <laughs> like throughout the nineties. And I guess I, I, I think a lot of people will, especially the Brits will relate to this. Like when you were into an artist and during the CD years, you wouldn't just buy their albums you buy all the singles as well for their B-sides. Mm. Mm. And sometimes they were like double CD sets. So they was single this week and single next week. And you have to buy them both to get all the B-sides. Mm. Nick Cave didn't, or Mute rather, the label didn't stoop that low. But pretty much all the way from Henry's Dream mm. up to the uh, Abattoir Blues, Lyre of Orpheus double album. Well, not double album, but it's a two album set. Um, up until then, I bought every single Nick Cave single. So all the stuff that came off murder ballads and one of those songs was the ballad of, is it Betty Coltrane and Robert Moore or Robert Moore and Betty Coltrane, which to me is one of the best Nick Cave songs of all time. Hmm. It's fantastic. But unless you heard it on that CD single or maybe a 12 inch, if you bought that B-side at the time, you wouldn't probably know it. And they did come out on the the first B-sides release in 2005, which is, I bought that as well. Yeah, and once I I got that, yeah, yeah, and I think I sold all my CD singles after that because I didn't need them anymore Hmm. because they're the same masters I think on that three, is it three CDs or whatever? But it was it was never issued on vinyl, so yeah, I I bought this vinyl box because I wanted those really. Yeah, the other three LPs of the later B sides, I I'm indifferent to, but there may be some good stuff on there. But I I don't know, like I things like um, Hmm. Nick Cave did a song called until the end of the world, which was a feature on the, until the end of the world soundtrack in yes. ben vendors mm. movie from 91. Mm. Right. And that it was only on that soundtrack and obviously it's on the B sides thing. And it's an amazing song. Like it, I can't believe and this is a great thing about some of the great artists is that even their B sides material is just bloody fantastic. Yeah. Like suede or pulp or um, I'll think of some more, I mean, even Oasis, God bless them. Like I, it's hard to listen to them now, but some of their B-side stuff was, were great. Tom Order, Waits. The Smiths. I don't know. Just has Tom Waits issued many singles though, like with B-sides. I, I don't know. I, it, there's a, it's a, it's at least a double CD. Oh, the orphans thing. You mean the triple? Yeah. CD. Yeah. The triple right. CD. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But is, but are those songs previously released like on other formats or the singles or the things, or are they just, is it just him, him clearing out the archives? I don't know uh. much. Sure.
2: I think I think it's a somewhat of a mix. Okay. I believe somewhat of a mix.
1: But you're right though, even like even on on, on like Tom Waits' worst day yeah. is better better than you know pretty much ninety-nine percent of all musicians <laughs> best day, right? So it's just but yeah, but this Nick Cave vinyl box mm. I mean I, ha- I have not had time to open it yet, but I've been waiting for you. know you want that moment, like a Sunday afternoon. Oh like, yeah, absolutely. Right, cup yes. of tea, got my new Torrens turntable or Thorren's turntable gonna crack it and then i know the first few songs those acoustic versions that were the b-sides from i think it was the good son it was a single from the Mm -hmm. good son or no no it was the bonus cd that came with the good son uh, upon the first release that's how much of a nick cave nerd i am so when people say how do you know how these songs sound (laughs) because i have followed this guy religiously you know down the decades yeah so you know so when i (laughs) wave a cd or uh, um a, a vinyl record in front of a camera and it's still sealed <laughs> and I'm talking about it you know I've got it on another format somewhere because yeah. I do buy a lot of, I don't know about you but I buy a lot of stuff on cd and vinyl um because I guess my obsessive compulsive nature hmm. is beginning to peak <laughs> <I> just want, <laughs> you know, I don't trust streaming you know platforms Yeah, and, uh, but, yeah yeah but it's I just the older i get the more joy i find from physical formats and maybe it is maybe part of that is a nostalgia trip maybe part of it is, but not all of it not uh, all of it
2: yeah 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 that's it's that is simply that's just uh it's an
1: oversimplification it is yeah, yeah. but anyway the album i wanted to talk about mm. was um it's by a band i don't really know much about and i i should do because the band is can and they were very oh, yeah. famous, ge- famous Germans from the, from the seventies. Right. Yeah. And I know that like Eggy Bamiassi is a classic and Tago Mago is a classic, yeah. but these yeah. are not albums that I can really speak to with any authority. Cause I, I can't remember the last, maybe I played them in the nineties once and went, oh, that's all right, but I probably wasn't ready for it back then, hmm. but I was in a really bad mood in a, in a CD store a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> It's, well, it's a, it's a big kind of electronic store that has this amazing CD section, Uh, right? So I just, I hate the store, but I like the section hmm, because hmm. the, the selection is amazing. Hmm. And I was just, I was in a mood to just to kind of go, I'm going to buy a bunch of stuff, right? Because I was, I think, because I was grumpy. Um, and I thought I'm going to buy a couple of things. I have no idea what they sound like. And I bought a couple of Can live albums. I bought two Uh, of the three that have been issued recently. Yeah. And the one I'm holding in my hand right now is the CD because I didn't want to spend thirty bucks on the on the vinyl. I bought, yeah, you know, I didn't want to take that risk, so I spent fifteen on the CD. Hmm. And it's Can Live in, and here comes the pronunciation dilemma again. Live in British people would say Cuxhaven, but I think in Ger- it's a German town. I think it's Cuxhaven. Yeah, I think. Okay. And it's 1976, and this is a, the third release in this live series that they've done. I did buy the the Stuttgart one, I think, but I haven't opened that yet. I thought I'd play this, you know, this '76 one. It's not hugely long. It's only like 35 minutes. It's just four tracks, just called in German one, two, three, four, mm. and it it's not. It doesn't really have the atmosphere of a full show. It's just segments because, from what I know about Can, is they would, they're, I guess they're sort of, uh, what's the word? Their mo was just 20, 30 minute jams that would just go on forever, yeah. right? And yeah. my, And there's a, there's a certain amount of free jazz element to them, but they're they're a rock band, right? Or I guess they were called kraut rock at the time, but they're sort of avant-garde rock. Maybe, I don't know what you call it, but it's certainly not electronic in the way that Kraftwerk were or are Mm -hmm. right. It's, it's drums, Mm -hmm. bass, guitar, but listening to it, I kind of go, I don't necessarily like it yet, uh, but I know it's good for me. So, I guess I want to say about this. Yeah. This can album. It's, it's like being given a plate of vegetables. Ah. You kind of have to eat them every now and again, you know, you have to kind of <laughs> dig into the shit that makes you feel uncomfortable, but you kind of go, what the, what the hell is this? And you might not like all of it, but at least it's interesting, right? It's an interesting record. This can album. Yeah. And it does. It does make me want to play it again. I, I did blast it actually last Sunday. Mm. Um, just to sort of blow the cobwebs away, I think it's a good Sunday record. But I think anybody walking in on the middle of playback will be like, "What the hell? Huh. Like, what are you listening to?" But if you like that sort of chaotic rock and roll that can go in any direction and then just suddenly stop or take a weird turn, mm. there's no vocals, not really. Or maybe there's a, there's a there are a few, but they're not what you call like lyrics. There's no songs. yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's the exact opposite of Nick Cave, like who's a very mm. songs-driven, character-driven. Um, songwriter this is yeah far more avant-garde and abstract but I think it's super interesting and yeah I just I got it because I wanted something that would be a bit challenging yeah I love their music
2: but I have to be in that in the mood
1: yeah see I think this kind of record you don't have to be in the well you you think you do Hmm. but sometimes it's one of those things where it if you play it when you don't think you're in the mood, and it might catch you off guard. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's it's like I have this thing where if I play acoustic music just as the sun is going down, mm. it's just the most amazing experience at, at dusk, right? Acoustic music from my hi-fi at dusk on a nice, calm, quiet day. Doesn't matter when when dusk is. It could be 10 p.m. It could be 5 p.m. It. I'm just. I think maybe I'm just a better listener at that time. Ah. Uh. Because you know that you kind of get that. What's that? Is it mm. called the glo- mm. is it called the gloaming? You know, like that that period between huh. daylight and night nighttime. Or well, there's maybe there's some other word for it, but I haven't heard that uh, word. Yeah, yeah, but like it's just yeah, just this idea of is it the German word die Dämmerung? I don't know. Maybe I'm mm. mix, mixing my German words here, but um, <clears throat> yeah, that, I think that makes you a better listener, and. I don't know where I'm going with this, but, (laughs) 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 but you know how people say, oh yeah, my hi-fi sounds better at night. Mm. Mm -hmm. I swear it does, but it it could be that you're just a better listener at nighttime. Mm. You're more focused, you know, you're less distracted. It could be that. Yeah. Don't know. Maybe it does. Yeah. I think
2: generally, uh, generally I find myself really connecting, um, And not being distracted at night, you know, Mm. later in the day and at night. I mean, because for me, I don't know if it's the same for you, but when I'm early in the day, that's when I do my best writing,
1: or at least I think think so. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I can't write after 2 p.m. Yeah, yeah, it is a thing, yeah. Yeah, and that's when I do kind of like the boxing up of stuff, or <laughs> right, all, right? All the admin a, emails. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. It's a different part of the brain. I can't. Yeah, yeah the the creative part of me
0: mm.
1: pretty much just packs up at, at lunchtime. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So it's yeah, that's kind of yeah. I think there's certain times for certain things, and mm. like you talk about. I know people that play loud music at midnight. I can't do it.
0: Mm.
1: I find I find it too confronting. Huh. Or, or music at midnight. I just I think once I get past like 9 PM, I just want to watch a movie. Maybe it's because I'm, you know, most of my life is driven by music and sound. Yeah. And yeah. I need a break from it. You know, like I could just need to kind of zonk out in front of some bullshit show on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Although tonight I'm watching the, uh, the moon age daydream, David Bowie documentary. That's finally hit video streaming services and uh. download services. So pretty excited about that. The Brett Morgan thing. So, you know, um, yeah, I think he'll be quite good, even though hearing David Bowie talk a lot of the time just in, annoys me because he's, <laughs> he's one of those artists hmm. who made some of the most otherworldly sounding records. Hmm. And then when he plays them live, what he does is as the band's doing the intro, he'll say something like, here's a little number I did in 1974. I'm like, <laughs> what are you doing? Shut (laughs) up. You just ruined the mystique of this song, right? Like diamond dogs churning away in the background from the band. And like, Mm. he's, you know, doing London geezer. (laughs) I I hate it. He just annoys me. Maybe I'm the only person that thinks that, but so I know there's going to be a lot of that in this movie because you, you hear him talk and then you listen to low and then you hear him talk and then you listen to heroes. You're like. If this this guy made this stuff. <laughs> but it, it's not just him, is it? It's like Visconti and Eno and Fripp. Mm. But then again, I guess he's always been very good at choosing the right people to work with, like Nine Inch Nails in the 90s. Yeah. Or um Reeves Gabrels was, I guess, his longtime guitar player. And uh Gail Dorsey his longtime bass player. So yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm on a bit of a ramble here, aren't I? I've got to bring this to a. We're going to stall this car. We're not going to bring it to a screeching hole. We're just going to, yeah, to turn, <laughs> turn the key on the ignition and just go, 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 Um. Yeah. So we'll stall the ending of this episode, Michael. Thank you very much for your time once again. Yeah, my pleasure. You have been listening to the Darko Audio podcast with me, John Darko, and Twittering Machines' Michael Lavonia. This episode was produced by Nick McCorriston and music came from Ben Pitt.